Hey y'all, this is Daniel Kyrie. I play Darren Ritter on Chicago Fire, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. This thing makes the entire family. And to me, there's nothing more important. Not gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Meet Us at Molly's, episode 260. We're almost done, y'all. We This week, we are covering the penultimate episodes, so 821, 1121, and 1021. Um, Gina is not here this week. She is flying back from a work trip, but I am joined by my wonderful friend, Rachel Brecker. Rachel, how are you? I'm good. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you back. I always love podcasting with you. Although I know it's so funny. Every time I ask you, you're like, well, one day I'll podcast with Gina. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's always me, but it's fun. It is fun. I just I just miss having Gina around to talk to. I know. Uh, I I will podcast with you anytime. Yes. Um, so we don't, of course, really have any news because we're at the end of the year. And like, as much as I love these shows, I'm ready for a little bit of a break. I mean, unfortunately, I think it's going to be a long break, but I am ready for a little bit of a break. Yeah, uh, it is. It's been a long year. of, And has it felt more? I mean, I guess it is because of the break, but it's felt very start and stoppy on these yeah. ones, too. I think some years they're better about the start and stoppiness of it. Like it may be like it. I don't know. I feel like some years they're better at it than others. But this year, I feel like it's definitely been more of a start stoppy. Yeah. Year. And it's it, it's not been that like there's a great cliffhanger when it does stop. That makes me like I can't ready wait for, for it to come back, back in four weeks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um. So before we get into the actual episodes, obviously, whenever someone comes back that on the pod that hasn't been here in a while, I always personally like to just kind of check in. And I think you haven't been on this season at all. So, and even though I know some of your thoughts on this year, I'm just curious. It's not it in the fall. Did you come on in the fall? I I think I was on with you in the fall. It was... Oh, yeah. No, you were. It was the finales. It was the mid-season. Yes, it was the mid-season. Oh, my God. That feels like 20 years ago. I know. It feels like a long time ago. Well, and so much has happened in the back half. Oh, yeah. So, I'm curious. What are your thoughts on, you know, since the last time you were on? What are kind of, like, how are you feeling about the shows? Like, where do you stand? Overall, I'm bored. I'm bored. You're just bored or you don't like, I guess my question is, are you like hate watching or are you just like, eh, I don't, you know, I'm just kind of like, these aren't that entertaining. It's, it's the, eh. I would say for the first time since I did my binge and caught up, I have had at least once where I didn't watch fire live, which like I was watching fire live every week. Well, fire was your favorite, right? Fire fire was my favorite. It's still my favorite. Yeah, whatever you want to, yeah. But I think it's my favorite out of nostalgia more so. No, I don't think some of the comedy I enjoy there. Um, uh, Med, 
I think the story, like the actual like writing and storylines have been interesting, but they got rid of all the characters I like. So I'm kind of like over it for that. There's nobody I like care about that much anymore. Okay. Um, Like I really like Hannah. Yeah. And I like Will, but Will is just like, he's just very repetitive. Like I don't feel like Will has anything new about himself. Yeah. Yeah. even in this episode, I kept feeling like I was watching something I'd seen before. Yeah. Um, and that's about, like, that's about it. And the OR 2.0 stuff is interesting, but it's been a lot of OR 2.0. Yeah. And I miss Marcel having, like, other stuff. stories. Yeah. yeah. So, med is med, but I've always been mad about med. I will say, I have liked PD on some episodes more this season than I have before. There have been times with PD where I ended, I'm like, yep, I like PD best this week, which never ever used to happen. But then there are equally as many times where I watch PD and I'm like, I have no idea what happened and I don't really care. So PD kind of goes, swings from one (laughs) end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah, I I feel like that's a pretty, I mean, everyone's feelings about all of it. It's like, it's just been a weird year. And I, I do think... I... Go ahead. Well, I've been thinking, when you think about PD, I've been thinking a lot about, like, I'm curious if you've ever seen any other show, especially one that's lasted as long, with this model of, like, who's the focus of the week? Mm. And being able to just, like... Like, there's not A-lines and B-lines the same way, like, you see on Med mm-hmm. and Fire. It's just such an interesting model that continues to like go on I but it it doesn't do it for me I'm I'm now that you think of I'm really trying to sit here and think about like shows that would kind of fit and I I really can't think of anything I mean like sure every once in a while a show will do like a character focus up like I feel like every show has done that at some point obviously bottle episodes exist for a reason like every show has done that at some point but yeah, not off the top of my head, I can't think of any show that does that. Like and I think you're totally abandoned every other character and all the other characters basically even the, in the background. Even the very he- like procedure heavy shows. I mean, granted, I'm not a huge like SVU fan, but like I don't even think SVU, you know, but like SVU is more case than character. Yeah. And even like I'm thinking about like the FBI's again, I don't watch them regularly. At, you know by any means but even like the fbi shows again very case heavy but i you know i don't they're not care i don't know like they're just still not this yeah it makes me think because you have these ensemble procedurals elsewhere where it's like this is a big episode for this person or this is a right. big episode and for i mean bottle person. episodes exist on every drama right. pretty much and it doesn't even have to be a bottle it could just be a this is exciting they have a good storyline right but with PD, I watch it and I'm often like, knowing it's a broadcast series, they all have contracts, so they all get paid probably the same amount per episode, but you watch it and when you're like, when it's a character who's not the focus, you watch it and you're like, they're not quite an extra, but like, they're doing so little. Like, yeah, what are they, like, it must be, I can't decide if it must be such a relief when it's not your episode or if it's so boring when yeah. it's not your episode to be in that cast. Yeah. Well, I think it's just going to be really interesting because obviously 
whether it's been confirmed or if it's still just like a very prominent rumor, there's that. I don't know if you've heard about like what NBC and CBS are doing supposedly about the idea that like with like trying to create more room in the budgets and like creating budget cuts and stuff. The idea is that the characters, like the actors will be on less episodes. So not by a ton, but like say if it's a 22 episode episode which oh, this year, I don't think not regulars be... making well, that no 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 not regular not, okay. not regulars but so like say in a normal year which not strike affected they were gonna have 22 episode seasons I don't think that's gonna happen right. this year but 22 episode seasons then say like someone like Miranda who plays Stella she may not be in all 22 she may be in like 19 but instead of them having to take a pay cut they'll just be less episodes so they just get paid for less episodes instead of getting yeah. less money. Oh, see, I so, can but see it that still works out on the network end that like it was yeah. a budget cut in a way, if that makes sense. I can see it working for PD and us barely noticing just because right. it has such a That's weird. Ba- mod. Well, and they literally but, have like, already done that with Torres, essentially. Right, but like for something like I Fire mean, and Med, it's going to be really weird. For something like Fire, when you look at somebody like Stella. Mm-hmm. I mean, Severide before, maybe Cruise. Like, there are a few that probably could be missing, and I wouldn't totally notice it if they were all in different episodes. Herman, like, you can't go an episode with like Mouch and Herman. Like, there are some I, that it's gonna make we- it's gonna be really weird, and some that you're not gonna notice it as much. But honestly, for these one Chicago shows, they are probably the best model for that because they have these like big workplace casts that like. Yeah. They could probably get away with it. PD, I think, is just going to be weirder only because there's so few of them. I mean, granted, they already kind of do it, so I think it'll be less noticeable. But at the same time, it's like they literally don't have that many people, so... They keep losing people, too. So Yeah, and every show keeps losing people. And I just... I What I was going to say earlier is I think this year in general, the way I feel is, like, when we look back on it in, like, 10 years, we're just going to be, like wow that was a transition year and I really don't know like that was like this season was like a moment in time and like so much stuff happened and I think there will be like a you know curve back up but it just may be with different you know it's just gonna be different regardless you're more optimistic than me I'm trying I'm I'm trying I'm I'm impressed and I think that's a good way I have just been thinking a lot about how long they are and how how so many shows can never recover from that length and how I, I hope these ones can find their I think way back. some shows can uh, yes I think in general some a lot of shows just die at some point and like they should have ended way before they actually did I I like to think hopefully these shows can like have another tick back up um because I just don't see them going anywhere so like for my sake as a viewer and as someone who's doing this podcast I need them to have a tick back up for my sanity I would like I would like them to go back up for the sake of like when you look at what's going on with the writer strike and all that like these are the best jobs for a writer to maybe not the most interesting content always to write yeah. but like it's a steady job and there are less and less of shows like this out there yeah. and like we need things like this to continue um just i don't yeah. know that steady paycheck that 22 episode season like yeah I also just like the stability. Like, I was going through a period where I didn't want to watch shows that weren't procedural. Like, yeah. I just yeah. wanted something I could turn on, would feel familiar, would feel like 
And so it's like, I don't want to see that gone completely. I don't need the things that draw me in and I have to pay every ounce of attention to all the time. No, those are great on occasion, but we don't need them all the time. I still probably watch, I mean, granted, I do watch other things, but I think my most of my weeks of like the things I watch every week for sure, then I like our procedurals. I mean, the rookie. I mean, that's you know, all I watch on the weekly. Everything else is binge. Yeah. I mean, you know, the rookie, yeah. these shows, you know, Station yeah. 19, like Fire Country, all, I mean, like literally all, all of them. Just oh, you're so, the- you're such a procedural person. Every time I like start a new one, I'm like, Who's watching it? Is Gina Bryna watching it? Like, what's the... Probably, yeah. At least me, for sure. I think she's behind on all of them that aren't one Yeah, Chicago. she is. She, yeah. All of them. Yeah. Which makes me sad, because The Rookie is doing really well. The Rookie's great. Fire Country is great. Station 19, I also enjoy. <sighs> I'm up and down on Fire Country. I'll, like, watch it, and I'll... Uh... It's just a little weird sometimes. It's not my favorite. <laughs> it's okay. But um, my mom loves it, though. She says, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, I forgot that you told your mom because I told you to watch I it. I told my mom she watched it first. She loves it. Um, So yeah. I stay up to I stay up to date so we can watch together. But yeah, yeah. All the procedurals. All righty. But the seasons like we were talking about, the seasons are almost done. We're almost there. Almost there. One more week. One more week. It does feel, I will say, and like, obviously, we're just talking about the writer strike and then we will move on. But it feels a little weird. I was thinking about this the other day that, like, obviously, normally at this point, Gina and I are prepping for our big writer interviews. Um, and obviously, it feels weird because, like, we're not doing those, you know, until at least for the shirt, till the strike's over. So, um, yeah, it just you feels it's weird. It's a weird time of year to not be doing those. Yeah. So. And I, I am sad not to have that to listen to. Yeah, I could, this I could trust me. I could really use a talk with Andrea right now. I'm, I have lots of questions for her, and hopefully she'll come on once the strike is over. So, because I have questions that need to be answered. <laughs> All righty. So, like I said, we don't really have any news. Um, I mean, yeah, the shows are basically over for the season almost. So no news, no episode descriptions. But if you guys do see anything, send it to us. I'm like half worried that like between now and the finales or even just like right after the finales, we're just going to get hit with like a deadline article about so-and-so leaving X, Y, and Z, you know, like I'm just like mentally preparing myself. One, One of those is coming. I just don't know which one it is. Okay, so tell me because I'm behind and I don't, keep up with the news is anybody on any of the shows announced as not coming back next year no okay no i mean obviously the only thing that's been announced officially is back you know when taylor now you know it was announced that taylor was on his leave of absence um no nothing else is announced as and then jesse spencer obviously returning for next week but that's it Did, did i notice i don't know but oh, Jesse Spencer? Spencer. Jesse Spencer, I knew. Yeah. I got. Oh, you're thinking Jesse Soffer. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. I think a lot of people would like that, but unfortunately, that's not happening. I was going to say, I was like shocked by that, but no, it's, I knew Jesse Spencer. The I wrong, saw the other JS. The other JS. I don't, I'm not that far out of the news. I just didn't yeah. know of any of the other characters because there have been some no. who make comments, yeah. and we'll talk about them where yeah. I'm like, oh. I have a lot of, 
feelings and I have a lot of theories, but I don't know. None of nothing's confirmed. Okay. So. I'm glad no news has really has dropped. I just yet. I just know that something, whether it's before the finales, which at this point, I just let what it be till after the finales. Like if you're gonna spoil it, spoil it like four weeks ago. Like don't spoil yeah. it now. That's um, what yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, which I mean I didn't want it four weeks ago, but like I'd rather just wait until, you know. 901 10.01 11.01 like at that point just spoil them when they're done right agree um anyway so we do have though two patron shout outs this week um first up amanda taylor amanda welcome to the family we are so glad you're here and second we have hannah Harmon. hannah welcome 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 i don't think either of you have been added to the facebook group yet but make sure you do because let's be real that's the best perk of them all. Um, lots of lots of finale talk, lots of episode talk going on in the group chats. So um, they're always popping. But if you guys would like to support us on Patreon, you can do so for as little as $2 a month. Um, the link to that is in our bios on all our social media. So yeah. Um, Rachel, without further ado, should we jump into the episodes? Let's do it. All right. Before which one? Okay. Obviously, we're going to start with Med, but which I'm curious, which episode was your favorite last night? My friend Jackie asked me the same thing, and I was like, probably fire for one storyline on it. Oh, interesting. I, I honestly. Overall, Med. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Med, although I, I personally, and I know you disagree, I liked PD. But I think Med to me was the one I was like most engaged with the whole way through. And I was like, oh, this is good. I like this. This is like, I liked, I thought all of it was strong. Yeah, I thought Med was strong, but there was one plot and one very minor plot in Fire that I loved. So, like, that kind of made my night, if one of them were to. All right, so we're going to kick off with the Hannah and Dr. Abrams storyline, because, of course, that's the start of the episode. So the episode kicks off, and you've got Hannah and Nellie do- having a little girl talk. Um, Nellie's struggling with the dating apps. And I was just like, why haven't we had more of this friendship this whole year? I didn't even know. It took until the end of the episode. Granted, I will give the caveat. I've been working crazy hours. Yes, and I know. Yeah. barely into it. But I thought she was the character who works for jack oh you thought grace yeah grace at first i I didn't register just because that like i wasn't used to seeing her in that situation and so i was like why is she talking about dating apps did she already break up with halstead and then only when grace showed up and they're talking i was like wait i had the wrong character there yeah oh my gosh well, and that's another example we were talking about, like, characters popping in and out. Like, I just wish, I love Nellie so much, and I wish we had more of her. And, I mean, just all the interns in general I've really come yeah. to love. But they, you know, use them so, like, okay, we haven't had Nellie for, like, four episodes, so now we're going to use Nellie. And then it's like, okay, last week we had Kai and Zach or whatever. It's like, that's, I think, yeah. probably more of what we're going to get with a lot of these characters moving forward yeah which is and like that's weird. kind of where I was was I just hadn't seen her face in a while and in yeah. that setting I was like you put her in a setting as being with psychiatry that I would have recognized her yeah all right so then Hannah sees Dean Archer over you know and she calls him over and she 
is like, here, I've got this for you. It's a renal friendly snack bar. And I was like, well, first of all, I, I meant to Google this, that like, are there renal friendly snack bars? Like, I sure, I'm sure there is something, but like, I've just never heard of something be like, this is renal friendly. Like, I just, you know, that was just an interesting term to me. Obviously, no, if you're like gluten free, you know, this and that. And I'm like, I guess there are things that are renal friendly. Um, indeed, I just Googled and there are things that are renal friendly. Um, but yeah, there is like a renal friendly diet. So I would assume even if it wasn't like labeled on the bar, right. it was probably like ingredients and like things on to look for. Yeah. about being good for whatever it is you can. I actually Fair. know nothing what a good renal diet is other than cranberry juice is good not yeah cranberry juice is good yeah well and so then of course the whole time you know hannah and dean are going back and forth back and forth they're well first of all rachel i need to know what are your feelings about hannah and archer i need to know no no okay I, i will take i don't know yet i i i will take that how like here's the thing i'm really bad at gauging ages and what, so what is the age gap know, yeah what is the age gap i mean obviously at least 10 years i would okay, say i don't like do you think she is his son's age or is his son like a younger guy that's interesting okay so i'm gonna say dean is for sure at least like 50 okay I mean, I he's not 40. I don't think he's like... And how old is she? For all I know, she could be 40. Like, I have no gauge of age. My guess is Hannah is somewhere between at least 35 to 40. How old is Jesse Schramm? Because a lot of times they kind of just go off of like... I, I have so much trouble specifically with her because I remember her from Veronica Okay, Mars she, she Veronica is 37. Mars. See, I think she's still like 12. She wasn't even 12 Veronica Mars, but I still see that face. <laughs> yeah, no, she's 37. So my guess is she's somewhere between, like, 35 to 40. See, and like, I would have said, like, 25, even though oh, it's not yeah, possible with yeah. her history. Like, it's not yeah, No, there's no way she's 25. My guess is she's somewhere between, like, 35 and 40. And he's, I, I'd say, like, between 50 and 55. I don't think he's older than that. What is his age? How old is Steven Weber? That is a great question. He Let's was see. born in... He's 62. Okay, well then maybe he is a little... I, I don't know. I don't think he's 62 so I will on say the show, I, though. I just like the age gap trope in general, usually. So, okay. like, that is not my thing when I'm reading romances. Um, However, I don't think that age gap is that horrific at all. Yeah. Um. I really, really enjoyed the way their friendship has grown and how far they have come together. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to see them romantically together. Like, that is just... And I don't like the insinuations. I I mean, I texted you when they basically made it clear that there was another father-son thing going. And I was just like, I don't like this. I'm tired of this. I want people's relationships to be clear. And I don't like this idea that a father and a son could like the same person. Like, that's gross. Stop. But did you? Okay, so I think I forgot to text you back because I was in the middle of recording and I just forgot. But so I talked about this on the podcast last week about why I think they're different. Okay, so tell me. I so I think I they're different. I think they're different because, well, one, the, Cro- the reason Crockett, Pamela, and Avery was so messy is because Crockett was basically 
playing them both kind of at the same time. Like, He's a man. I like, mean, granted, I will say that, like, once he realized he was way more into Pamela than Avery, he did, like, stop with Avery and, like, only try to do something with Pamela. But there was a little bit there where he was, like, going on dates with Avery and then also kind of flirty with Pamela. And, you know, so, like, that's why I think that one was so more messy. The reason I'm personally okay with this one is that I think... Well, yes, Dean kind of has an idea right now about Sean's feelings for Hannah. Dean himself hasn't even realized that I think he has feelings for Hannah. And Hannah, for what we all know for right now, seems to have no feelings towards Sean whatsoever. I mean, in romantically. Right. Friends, you know, whatever. So I don't think, well, yes, it is messy just because, like, Sean has feelings for Hannah and Hannah and Dean probably have feelings for each other. They just don't know it yet. And, like, it, it's messy and, like, Dean and Sean are father-son. Like, that's messy. To me, it's less messy, and I'm more okay with it because there's no Hannah dating Sean and Dean at the same time and their father. You know, that's not weird to me. Okay, I, I, that, that is a valid answer. Um, I get that. And I, I get that it's, just, I get that, like, you know, father-son, like, I think that's just going to be weird to some people always. Right. And, like, I can respect that, too. I just think that it's easy to brush off as like, oh, Med just did this last year and like blah, blah, blah. And like, to me, I think they're different just they because totally of the nature different. of all the relationships. But yeah. It is just interesting though that they did choose to do, to do that. it again. Yes. And yeah. if we, again, if we ever get to have a writer back on this, you know, if the strike ever ends, when the strike ends, we get to have Med writers back. I do. It is a question I would love to ask about like, was you know why like father you know like why that same choice basically two years in a row uh um, yeah because i think that is interesting but to me like i said they're just two different scenarios it just happens to be father son mother daughter at the you know that's valid i so. just i i like i like their flirting i like their friendship i don't want them together I, that's fair. I can I can respect that. For me, this has been the thing that's gotten me, like, the buzziest, the most excited out of, like, honestly, well, except for Burzik getting back together. Like, the thing that uh-huh. has made me really excited about these shows again, like, this year. Because I think this year, obviously, we're, we've just been talking about how, like, up and down all of them have been. Right. And, like, it's not been anybody's favorite years for the most part. So, like... To me, this is something that's made me, like, really buzzy, really excited, and I'm, like, I'm just very in on that. And I don't think anything's going to happen before, like, I was having this conversation with our friend Lauren today that, like, I don't think, and like, I don't even think they're going to kiss next week. Like, I don't think anything's just, I think that's not going to happen, but I think it's something, like, it's very clear to me now that they're going that direction. I just think it's going to take a little longer. Yeah. Well, and I would say, here's how I, because I do think it, their storyline is, is what part of what's bringing me back and me enjoying med. I just don't ship them. I really and like the storyline. I find it compelling. And that's fair. I just don't ship them. So that's, that's fair. And I, yeah, I just, and I think it's really impressive what they've done with both Hannah and Archer in terms of like character development and their turnaround. And like, it was crazy to me. I was thinking about as I was outlining this, that like, Literally, it was. It's only been basically a year since Hannah's come back. Like that was last season, 
And like, yeah. that's crazy to me. Like, I feel like but at I this remember, point, she's been on the show for like 20 years. And I think the first time I was ever on the podcast, we were talking about how evil Archer was and like, yes. is he redeeming himself? And now like this. So it is, it is pretty mind boggling. Like what they've done with His- these characters and how we're brought into it. I never thought I would say that, like, Dean Archer is, like, one of my favorite characters on Med, like, ever. Right. And he like, really, like, Dean, talking. it's like Dean and Hannah up there for me as, like, I one and two. I think literally asked you, what were they, like, who, who thinks Archer is anything but an evil villain? Like, what is redeeming it all about this guy? We were, like, and literally like every week them. we were, like, why is he still on the show? And now yeah. I'm like, he can stay forever. Please don't kick him off. I need him in my life. Like, protect Dean Archer at all costs. So bravo on the writers and the actors, because I think they did, they've done a great job there. Yeah. Also, um, I'm finally yeah. seeing Hannah as a grown-up, even though I yes. said she still looks. Like, I struggled <laughs> in the beginning. Kept going back to that, like, teenage role. Yeah. Um. But so anyway, so this whole time that she and Dean are having this thing over the renal bar, Nellie is just, like, looking at them. Like, she, like, my favorite thing is that everyone else has kind of picked up on this at this point except for them. And so Nellie's just literally looking back and forth, like, what is going on? Like, what is happening here? And then she, like, goes so far as she asks Hannah, you know, about her dating life. And Hannah's like, well, literally, it's been non-existent. Like, I literally haven't dated anyone since Will. And I'm like honey like that's so i mean granted she's been through a lot i get it but it's also like that was so long ago at this point (laughs) um and so yeah they're just basically you know nelly's just like well maybe it's time you put yourself out there which we'll find out at the end (laughs) so hannah's patient this week is dr abram's wife michelle Uh, michelle has only made two appearances one I definitely remembered. The other I was told about, and I definitely did not remember. So in season one. five, there's the you know the iconic. I think it's iconic episode where everyone thinks Doctor Abrams is dead, and he's not dead. And then apparently, you can see her with Doctor Abrams in the background at Maggie's wedding, and Maggie and Ben's wedding later that same season. Wow, is what I wow told. okay. So, okay. but this is, we haven't basically seen her since season five. So, honestly, Not I didn't really that. think they would still be together, but here we are. They've proven me wrong. Yeah. Um, so, she thinks she just has a UTI, and so Hannah works her up. Turns out she's pregnant. I mean, UTI symptoms are apparently very similar to early pregnancy symptoms. And she's very excited. Michelle's very excited, but Abrams lips he's not happy about it because he had a vasectomy and of course it failed he's not happy and of course all he can talk about is the fact that like his doctor promised him he's never had a vasectomy fail blah 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 and michelle's like really like really this is all you can think about and i I feel like go ahead i was gonna say i am baffled and love the fact that not once did anybody go like did you cheat on me? I was, like, I was literally just about to say, in that moment, the very first second I saw this, I was like, oh, this is going to be a cheating storyline. Especially because in that, if I remember correctly, in that first episode, and really her really only main appearance, if I remember correctly, she was kind of 
described and like she was kind of meant to be like a gold digger type character yeah I, so, that's what i remember which is it, why i thought like i was like oh why did they you know i'm surprised they're still kind of married i guess but I, I like i so it was just my first thought of like oh she cheated on him like okay whatever like that's where they're gonna go kind of a easy cop out but like okay whatever and then they didn't go there. They never even insinuated that that was the case. And I was like, right. I mean, I'm proud of them, but also like, what does that say about me? Like, that was where I my, per- my that, mind went. I would think that in that, I mean, maybe it's because he's a doctor, but I would have thought in that situation, Grant, he would have immediately been like, what happened? And she would have immediately, even if she knew she hadn't cheated, would have immediately been like, I promise I didn't cheat on you. Like, I actually really have so much respect for that relationship now that that never came up once. Yeah. Like, that to me says a lot. Also just that the writers didn't even ever insinuate going there. Like, that was like, like you said, I mean, in the characters, but the writers too, like, never thought to go there. I mean. Yeah. And I hope that was purpose. That's one I would want to know. Like, I'm assuming that was purposeful. Like, it has to be. I would seem, I would feel like it, just given the stuff that Abram says later on about their relationship. Like, I would assume that seemed personal, you know. Yeah. But I, I liked that. Yeah. But anyway, so they're not in a great spot. So Hannah comes back to Michelle's pelvic exam and she's got this thing called cervical insufficiency, which basically means her cervix is opening prematurely. So she has to have a procedure to close it. And so she had, and they do the procedure pretty much immediately. And of course, Abrams comes into the OR while Hannah's doing it. And like, she's like, you can't be in here. And he's like, yeah, good luck. Like, I'm not leaving. (laughs) Like, I'm not, you know. And then, of course, it turns in, like, there's a complication. And so Hannah's, like, doing her thing. She's calm. Like, it's not, like, a huge complication, but, like, something she would just naturally come up against. And Abrams starts backseat driving. He's like, you can't do this, blah, blah, blah. Like, what are you doing? And Hannah's like, dude, like, calm down. (laughs) Like, get out of my OR, but calm down. It's, you know, not a huge, you know, she's going to be fine. So, yeah. yeah. And that was totally, like, what? what a doctor would do especially a surgeon oh yes yes and it's also just like why there's such a weird line with like doctors and family members and like them being involved in their family members care like there is there's a line and it's easy to cross and it's just yeah 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 so michelle's gonna be fine though i mean you know you know it hannah's like i can't guarantee that she'll go full term but like from everything I'm seeing, like, it seems like she has no reason not to, you know, carry a full, you know, healthy baby. And then Abrams has this conversation with Hannah and he, like, opens up about his feelings and kind of how what he's really actually kind of going through in this moment. For the record, I do want this baby. I'll admit that the news surprised, shocked me. I'm an empty nester. Um, my daughter, Lucy, just started graduate school and... I didn't expect to see diapers again until I became a grandfather. I bet. But I I love being a father. And I'm actually quite good at it. What I'm not so good at historically is being a good father and a good partner at the same time. Trying to parent with my first wife destroyed our marriage. You'll be surprised to hear this, but I can be stubborn. 
I've built a great life with Michelle. I just don't want to ruin it by making the same mistakes. This is just a hunch, but I'm guessing you lack this level of self-awareness in your first marriage. My ex-wife would certainly agree with that assessment. Like you're not the same person anymore, Sam. And the fact that you can honestly admit your shortcomings, it's a pretty good sign that you won't repeat them. Been cruising the Hallmark Isle in your free time. Mm. Um, your little homily assumes that human beings are capable of two things learning from their failures, and change. I think we are. I always just love, like, Abrams, you know, we had Brennan on the podcast this season, and, like, I just love every time he comes back. And I love every time that he comes back. I mean, because always just his sarcastic comments are just the best but i love moments like this where you actually get to like learn just a little bit more about abrams because like i don't think if i remember correctly i don't think we ever knew before this that he was already a dad no i think we could have maybe falsely made like made yeah like like, it maybe i knew he was married before like i'm sure that probably came up in that episode you know yeah that one the five whatever but like i definitely don't remember him being a dad but like i you know it makes sense and like once he explained himself i was like okay like i like i see where you're coming from and why you feel the way you feel right i do and we didn't say this i did find it a little odd with how she was so happy upon immediate like no like finding out she was pregnant it made me like there there was a part of me that like started going down the did she try to get pregnant? Like how, like she was so happy. There was so much joy there and he was so angry. And so there was this piece of me that's like, what's going on? Well, cause uh-uh. she, I mean, I guess this is a dumb, but like, I guess she couldn't really thought anything about getting pregnant if she knew he had a vasectomy. Like, I mean, cause right. there. Well, and that was the part that I was like, did she do something that, yeah. like, that was, there was definitely moments. I, I liked that they never mentioned or said anything related to cheating, but there was a part of me that was like, she go get artificially inseminated or did she do this so she could have a baby and it was there was something weird about the fact that it felt like they never had a like never had had like the kids conversation right because she was so happy like maybe they had and we just i guess it was just weird that we had never heard it but i mean with that kind of character we wouldn't have heard it right yeah for all we know they had thought about it yeah yeah um but i will say i was just Glad, not that I thought it was ever really going to be just about the vasectomy, but like at the end of the day, like I'm glad it wasn't just him being mad that like his vasectomy failed. Like there is an actual deeper reason to why he yep. was feeling the way he was feeling. Yep. And I, I appreciated that. But I also wanted, like, I feel like you have to respect when somebody was like, I didn't want more kids. That's why I right. had it. Like my reaction isn't going to be the most Perfect. positive especially when it was uh, well obviously if you have a vasectomy and you then someone were to get pregnant after it's always going to be a surprise because you're not planning to get pregnant but yeah so of course he goes to apologize to michelle he apologizes he brings her this onesie and they accidentally reveal the gender which like i thought wasn't that a little premature too like how do you are i mean granted i know hannah said like she saw whatever and slipped 
But like then I'm like, well, how far along was Michelle? Like if you could if Hannah can already figure out what the gender is. Yeah, although maybe they had to do some kind of blood testing or genetic testing for But even then, I can you know. do it that early? Like don't you You can do that very early usually. People don't generally but I, I don't even think medically that would make sense. Like that is usually it's done still, early. Like, I knew you can do that stuff like early, but like I didn't think you could do it at like I just assumed she would have been like seven weeks at this point or something around that time frame. And I was like, can you do that like that early? I think it's like eight or nine. I, I don't want to talk and then be wrong, but you yeah. can, there's one kind of testing you can do super, super early that tends to cost money a lot of time, like because it's yeah. not covered. Right. And so that that is different than the 18 or 19 weeks when like most right. people find um but i don't know maybe i mean yeah who knows it was just the one thing i mean granted i th- this was a really nice just moment like obviously seeing them get you know apologize or whatever but it was like the one thing i was like would they already know the gender already like is the i mean anyway i just didn't know if that was like well, possible like given her symptoms maybe she's like 20 weeks and just isn't showing Maybe. And, and that's what I said. Like, to me, it seems like she'd be like seven weeks, but she could be like 12, 13, 15. I mean, like, we don't know. Right. Like, who knows? She could be carrying really small. I was just talking about this because I have two coworkers both do at the same time. And one of them, you can't tell at all. And apparently the other one, I haven't physically seen her yet, like, looks so pregnant. Right. Both first, first babies. And so, like, you for all she knows, she's been feeling crappy. She didn't think she could get pregnant, so it was never on her radar. Well, like, I mean, she could be pretty far along. We literally had the patient last week who didn't know she was pregnant until she had the baby. So, I mean, right. I know so, anything is possible. It's just. Right. It's just funny coming from a doctor's wife yeah. and somebody who is of like a mature age, not mature age, but like yeah. an adult. Right. Not like 22. Right. Yeah. Um, and so this storyline ends. Hannah goes back to find Nellie in the doctor's lounge later and asks about the apps again, and they have this conversation. Hey. You know all those apps you're about to delete? Yes. Which one is the least terrible? Does this mean you're officially putting yourself out there? I'm just... I'm dipping toes in the water. You know, historically, romantic relationships haven't really gone well for me I've never been a great partner oh hannah i'm sure that's not true at oh, all no no it's very true i've always been unreliable and erratic you were dealing with an addiction yeah this is the longest i've ever been sober in my entire adult life i want to believe that i'm not that same person anymore know that i can be a great partner for someone else well, you're certainly a good friend. <laughs> I can confirm that. Thank you. Okay, so all of the dating apps are terrible. <laughs> Let me see your phone and I'll show you which ones I'm on. Oh, I left it at the nurse's station, but I will be back. I really loved how what you were talking about earlier about how like you finally kind of started to see Hannah as an adult. I really appreciated the fact that they went full circle and recognized her sobriety and that like she was like this is the longest I've been sober and like how much that's playing a role and like the thing she's doing now and like why she hasn't started dating again and like 
because that's such an important part of her life right now. She needed to make sure that that was like fully intact so that she could be a better partner, be a better, you know, be a better just human in general. And like, you know, I just, I really appreciated the fact that they like went back full circle, not even just in this episode, but like, and just, you know, in Hannah's character development and recognize that like, that was such an important part of her journey. And now that she's kind of settled and she knows that that's stable, you know, she can start doing the other things in her life she'd put off for so long. And she's had some really good storylines and like medical storylines that yeah. have played well with having been somebody in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've appreciated those too, because it feels like she's a different doctor than she was the last time she was on the show. Oh yeah, um, for sure. And she's fun to watch. Like you respect, like she has become one of my favorite characters. Oh, yeah. Um, Just the way that she has a complex background, but like, she's really doing good things for the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, I definitely would never have said in like when she was first on the show it, that she would be one of my favorite characters, but here we are. Um, but yeah, also just more Hannah and Nellie in season tw- nine. I'm like, which season are each one of these shows on? Which yeah, next year will be like season them. nine? Um, but yeah, cause I, I really love those moments. I thought those were great, especially cause it feels like we're losing all of our like female friendships. So I'm just like, that's what Hannah I was just Nelly, let's go. I'm like, let's go. That's literally what I was just thinking was I was like, I miss some female friendships on this show. Like, yeah, this will be yeah. good to have back. Um, so of course we had some listener thoughts. Brooke S said, I love every." absolutely everything about the abrams storyline i did not have on my bingo sheet abrams and michelle becoming my favorite couple but man i should have their love is so freaking adorable i love that when she was told she was pregnant the thought never crossed abrams mind that she cheated it was just sue the doctor and though he should have never sat in on the surgery the panic he felt for his wife when a minor complication arose was so sweet he's not an emotional man but boy did they they did well by him this week yeah i agree i agree Yeah, it's just cool to see a different side of Abrams because, like I said, most of the time he's just like, let me drop in a sarcastic comment here. Okay, bye. I'm out of here. Like, peace out. So that was really, really cool to see. Um, And then Heather B said, I may catch heat for this, but I was on Abrams' side for most of this episode. You could tell he was obviously worried about his wife through it all. Thankfully, no accusations of cheating were ever made, but I think I would have thought the same thing if I had a surgery that prevented me from having children and then found out it didn't work properly. True. I would pro- yep. I, I probably would have gone there. That's that's what I was trying to get at was I yeah. definitely felt sympathy for his reaction. Yeah. Given his explanation later, it made even more sense. I did like, however, that he came around and let his night life let his wife know how excited he was to have the baby it felt like it kind of felt like a post on in an update on reddit to am i the asshole forum but it worked well as an abram story and i do think he would be a good dad like he said that's hysterical i've never that it kind of fits in that one i could kind of see it i feel like well that one would have been a toss-up with the commenters like i think enough people depending on how it's phrased would be like well he did have a vasectomy and the fact that he didn't jump to cheating is yeah really i think the commenters would have gone every other you know book i could see people on both sides because like just even watching i think you see people on both sides but it is funny that like i would have it does fit kind of in that am i the has asshole like i definitely could be one of those stories for sure yes it totally could 
Um, Heather also said Hannah is also ready to date and Archer is just right there waiting to hear it have this big epiphany yeah one day that'll happen Um, she said though I do hope we don't see Sean OD mostly for the implications that it was Hannah seeing Dean and Hannah together that caused it that doesn't really sit well for me and I was kind of hoping he would be the one to talk Archer into asking her on a date and be okay with it yeah I think I mean obviously we haven't seen what happened to Sean we don't know yet we'll get more into that later but yeah, it is, you know, they're definitely setting them up for, I don't know if it'll happen this season, but they're definitely setting Hannah and Dean up for it to happen, whether it's now or next year. Mm. Yeah. So next up we have, it's like Will, Grace, Crockett, Jack. It's like they all kind of go together. Mm-hmm. And literally, I every time I like just Jack Dayton sucks. Like he just really fucking sucks. I'm also just over it. Over the same thing. Over like it feels like it's the same storyline. Over and over. I and just over. I just want OR 2.0 to be done now. Like I get that. Like next week, obviously, it's gonna be a thing, and I'm sure that whatever the cliffhanger is for the finale, that, like, it's gonna have to wrap up in the premiere next year. Like, I understand that, and I, but, like, after that, just let it be done. <laughs> like, let's well, move on, and, like, let's do something else. Like, he's not even an interesting asshole. He's no, he just, just fucking sucks. He sucks. He's bored. Like, I think about, like, bad corporate people, and there are so, I mean, I'm obsessed with Succession right now. So, like, make him more of a fun villain. Like, he's not fun. He just has the same message every single time. Well, and I think they could do, and the thing is, is, like, in the beginning, there was definitely the, like, two sides to him of, like, he really, truly, I think, wanted to do good and try to use right. his money for good. And But sometimes it just kind of, because money comes with a lot of complications that like things happen because of it. And like, you know, he, but I really felt the pull, push and pull. I liked that push and pull. Yes. But I then liked I it. think this is the result of maybe him being around for too long that that's, like that's exactly. he just kind of fell into like a, he just kind of sucks. But like you said, he's not a super dynamic villain. He's just kind of like making our favorite people miserable and like, I Not in an interesting way. Just disappeared yeah. after we got the conclusion that he was evil. Like, let him pop in once in a while to put in a role they don't like. But like, yeah, yeah he's not interesting. He was in the beginning, and I think they it just kind of went on too long. And I, I liked him in the beginning. And I think what they're doing, I think the conversation around 2.0, obviously AI right now is very, very yeah. topical. And I think that's a really interesting concept. But again, it just feels like it's so much. And then even the discussion around, like, what is Chicago Med as an institution? Like, mm-hmm. it isn't interesting, like... The, right, and, like, the, are you really going to do it, the, like, for-profit versus, like, helping your patients is a really interesting debate. Yeah, and the economics of healthcare is an interesting thing, but it just... They, of course, can't get into the intricacies of it, and it's just this bad versus good... Well, and they just shoved Crockett over there. And I think it's the reason I have enjoyed this storyline because it's brought Crockett back into, like, interacting with Will and, like, interacting with, like, people that aren't Jack Dayton. 
all the time because I feel like for a while it was just like only Jack that he was like pretty much you know talking well and I to. think this we'll get to this storyline but I, I actually feel like this storyline would have been a whole lot more interesting if Jack wasn't a clear villain already like this this so, like if this had made like was where he emerged as a villain type thing not even emerged as a not not necessarily the hiding of the records but the the idea of like what is AI doing yes or like because we all are at this point of like OR 2.0 is bad because Jack is a big fan of OR 2.0 like we've already established this dislike of it in our heads because of what it's doing and so I think it makes this whole store like this whole story of like did OR 2.0 mess up what caused it like all of that less compelling because in our heads we already have this like negative connotation towards it because of Jack whereas like if this had happened earlier when it was something that people were on board with like this is such cool technology whatever and then to see especially when you think about it as this is the first time somebody has died from it yeah and like like I remember I was sitting there thinking about it we were watching it I'm like all of the best technologies medical technology someone has died from at least once like when do you and like even even when Crockett was talking about what did I do wrong what did I do wrong and they found the data I was thinking in my head about the ethical question of if he were doing this surgery on something other than OR 2.0 what he had done would not have been recorded they would have never gotten that information and so to what extent is he really liable now that that information exists like there's all of these things that this technology is allowing them to do that can be both good or bad and it's more interesting when you're not already having this preconceived a some like a, a opinion of this thing as being bad yeah no it makes sense it's really it is this whole thing is really interesting and just the timing of when they've chosen to do you know but yeah and i have more comments but i'm gonna save them as we kind of go because they fit okay. in a different yeah ways. i know i jumped way ahead no it's fine um, so yeah, basically this episode's well, this storyline starts. Grace comes into the doctor's lounge. And Will and her start talking about the fact that like they're basically taking OR 2.0 is going public tomorrow, but they're having the big press conference today. Um, and of course, Will is in his feelings because, you know, and he's feeling, I think, the way a lot of people are feeling that like, you know, med is changing for the worse. And, you know. That's obviously, there's many sides to this, you know, where you fall on this, but he basically says, he's like, you know, maybe it's, it's becoming a place I don't recognize. And Grace is like, well, maybe that's not a bad thing. Like, you're just so focused on the good, you know, whatever you don't, you, you're so invested in med that like, you can't take a step back and be objective and look and see the flaws that it has. And I think that is true in this specific situation. Like I'm not, med is definitely not a perfect hospital. We all know that. But I definitely think too, like I in this situation, I definitely personally side with Will as like a people over profits. Like if you can't go to the hospital and get treated for the things that you need because people with more money are gonna be able to just buy their time, you know, buy time, you know, because it, like I think that's fucked up. So I definitely am on a Will side, but I can see what Grace is saying that Will is a little. I mean, Will is so invested that he can't step back and be like, yeah, med's not perfect, but, you know. And it's also like we don't we don't get the insight into the environment that is medicine in Chicago. Like, 
what I think is so interesting is this is just one single hospital. We know there are other hospitals. We have an idea of what Chicago is, 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 but like, this is a feasible change that could be made and it would suck for the community, but like things like this happen and other, other resources are out there or whatever. Um, and like, this is what a new owner could do and mm-hmm. what I would expect a new corporate owner would do. For sure. Um, but it, does, it, it totally, from the perspective of the doctors, especially doctors in an area like the ER, where you're used to seeing anybody who needs anything. Yeah. Right. You're not working in like you're not working in like an outpatient clinic where you just see, you know, right. You see people, whoever comes in. Right. Or like a surgery specialty where it is a lot of pre-scheduled pre like having Mm -hmm. to go through like all of that. Yeah. Um, For sure. So Will though kind of flips it on Grace's point on its head and throws it back in her face and she's like okay, well, yes, maybe I don't see all of Med's flaws, but, like, you're not looking at Jack's flaws, and, like, you think he's this perfect boss, and he may be a good boss, but he's not, you know, there is still things wrong with him, too. Yeah. So, then she notices this drawing that Will is staring at, and Will's like, oh, it's from, oh, it's, you know, it's from, I don't remember exact words, and she's like, oh, you mean Natalie Manning's son? And I was like, was any else think that was just weird i mean granted grace says it was like oh the gossip from the nurse's station you hear a lot and i'm like it still felt a little weird to me that like grace knew exactly who natalie was like what she meant to will like i was like that seems like a lot for someone who's been here for two seconds yeah but more so i was thinking about that's cute they're still in touch he likes her are they endgame do you know the rumor? No. What's do you want rumor? me to tell you the rumor? I'm I don't know what you. Know. I don't know what you want to know about. I like, want to know the rumor. Okay, the rumor is so Rotten Tomatoes is either very accurate, and sometimes they're not, but a lot of times some of the things they put out are accurate. So I didn't know they put out news. No, they don't put out news, but like if you go look up like the finale episode for like oh, on their okay. website. You know, obviously they list like cast and like right. so then it can predict, you know, who is they she had. on it? Supposedly. And so is the actor who played Owen. Now, whether that is true or not, that is obviously it is just a rumor. But given this reference. We think Will is leaving? I don't that's the co- that's the what then I'm I, done with that. Like, then I'm done. I don't know. I don't know. I like I said, it's a rumor. I don't know if it would be for. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, but it does make at least makes like as soon as I saw that like he mentioned Owen in the drawing, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure that rumor is true. Like, yeah, it feels like a very setup of like, oh yeah, we still keep in touch. And then I thought it was just a good callback. Like I was just assuming it was a callback. And I was like, oh, I mean, I think it is a callback, but it also might be a set up if you were to believe Rotten Tomatoes casting. I mean, now that you say that, I read that entire scene differently. I was thinking, oh, that's cute. 
like he's really not meant to be with Grace. He still has feelings for Natalie. They're in game one day, but like way <laughs> off in the future. And, and now you're like, all. now I'm just like, are you setting up to break my heart? I don't know. I'm trying to like with all these things and all the shows and I mean I think Petey's the safest like I don't think anyone else is leaving from Petey like I'm pretty sure no one else is leaving they can Um, all leave for all I care right now but like with Fire and with Med because Med on a couple different fronts but like I'm trying to just keep my expectations low so that like I don't get my heart self like heartbroken if like Will was to leave or if Maggie which we'll get there you know like I'm trying to just keep, like... Can we just bring back Will and Hannah? Like, I'll be okay with that. It's not my favorite, but he stays. She's happy, not with Archer. <laughs> that would just make me better. It'll be interesting to see, but I, I, like I said, I didn't know if you knew, like, how deep you were, how much you wanted to be spoiled. And there's no chance Natalie's just coming back. Because I actually would love to see a Natalie Hannah friendship. I think you know? that be- I don't I mean, I don't know for sure. As far as I know, she still lives in Chicago. So like I don't know, but like I said, maybe- I'm just throwing it out there. Then maybe I mean she also like there are plenty of jobs in Chicago as well. So like they can be together, but he can still be on the show. Why don't we say that? Like, she's off being a doctor, just in private practice or something. Will's still at med. Can she practice again? Oh, was she? Oh, was that? I can't remember. Remember when she left, she had the whole thing with, like, her mom and the medicine. And she was, like, you know. Did she she lose her license? I don't know if she lost her license, but I I, I don't know. Can she practice medicine? I don't don't know. But anyway, yes, yeah, point being, there are still other jobs in Chicago, even if she can't practice medicine. They can be happily ever after and her not be on the show. I stand by that. Yeah. So, again, as soon as they just, as soon as they threw it out here, I was like, okay, I think Rotten Tomatoes is true. Yep. Yep. It, I it, agree. Yeah. So, anyway. So, Will, later on, he runs into Crockett, and of course, he's like, what are you doing here? Like, it's your day off. And Crockett's like, yeah, I gotta do a 2.0 press conference. He's like, I'm not looking forward to this. And Crockett's just still really, though, at like, he's really beating himself up about the patient from last week and the death. And especially because um, Richard's CT showed that the clot was in his liver that caused him to have a stroke, which is apparently suspicious AF because it should have been in his legs, not his liver. And yeah, so that's just like red flag number one. And so his wife didn't want to do an autopsy though, but of course 2.0 records lots of different files and things. So he's like, I'm going to go have Grace pull them. And of course though, she goes to pull the files and the data is missing. And Crockett's like, has this ever happened before? And she's like, literally never. Not even on the backup server. So, of course, like, the one time Crockett wants to look into something, the one time something bad happened, now the data is missing. Surprise, surprise. So, Jack heads (laughs) to the press conference, and he runs into Goodwin. I just love her. She's decided not to go, and her response is just so good. Sharon, you're going the wrong direction. Good morning, Jack. Yeah, the IPO conference is in the amphitheater. I'm aware. Did you forget you're making a statement? I did not, but after giving it more thought, I decided that 
it would be inappropriate for me to speak on behalf of the hospital. And why is that? Well, because 2.0 hitting the stock exchange benefits Dayton Corporation and not Chicago Med. Well, 2.0 put Med on the map, made it a destination hospital. Well, I'm of a different opinion. And the bottom line, Jack, hawking your wares is not in my job description. Goodwin, I stan her, so she's just such a queen. She's the best. She is the best. I just, she's so good. Her lines, her comebacks, mwah, chef's kiss. So good. So this we is what people say it med, despite what a crazy, awful hospital it is. Yeah. She's a good boss. It, she is literally the reason they all stick around. So the press conference is getting ready to start, and Jack's like, hey, I've got a plan. It's a surprise. Okay, bye. We're going to start now. And so he is talking to the press. He's like, you know what? You guys are going to be back here in 24 hours because... I'm going to invite the public. We're going to do a live stream. Crockett's going to do surgery on me. It's all going to be great. And Crockett's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what? He's very confused. And Crockett's like, what surgery am I even doing on you? And Jack's like, eh, I need to redo ventral hernia repair. He's like, I've been needing to get it done for a while. And Crockett's just like, dude, like, what the fuck? So... What? Like how Crockett is this magical surgeon who seems to change specialties every week. It can do everything. And it I just guess makes me laugh. because he's a I would well, he had the fellowship like last year when he was with Pamela, he was doing like organ transplants. Well, he still does. He tried to quit right. and he said he couldn't. So but I like, guess it's because he was a general beforehand, and that's obviously a more... Yeah, I mean, he's a general field. surgeon, but he's now the special... Like, I just sometimes wonder Med's, like, logic in things. Um, I think but... they just have to use him to basically almost do everything. Like, because right. he's really the only surgeon. I mean, can't you know, Archer technically is, but we really don't see him do that much surgery. He does more um, trauma stuff. Yeah, yeah, trauma. No, it's just funny because his, like, it, it just seems like Crockett can do whatever. And it's it's entertaining to me. Yeah. Because he's a superhero. <laughs> I mean, he can, he can do whatever. he. I mean, he can do a lot of things. Yep. So Crockett tells him about the deleted data. And Jack's just like, leave it alone. And Crockett's like, what are you talking about? And, Cro and Jack's just like, it was your fault. <laughs> So Jack takes Crockett into his office and basically ends up handing him the jump drive with presumably all the data that's missing. And he's like, don't blow your career up over this. He's like, we can still do a lot of great work. So Crockett goes to Will with the proof, I mean, with the jump drive and Crockett confirms. He was like, it was all my fault. He was like, you know, I did this and this, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He was like, it, it was me. Like, Jack's right. Like, I, it was me. I fucked up. But Will is still kind of skeptical. He's like, I don't know if this is not. He was like, I just don't know if I believe this. So he takes it to Grace. And this is Will's proof to Grace that Jack isn't who she thinks he is. Or she thinks he is. Yeah. So it was that minute when Crockett put the flash drive on the, on the, like, on the table and, like, left it with Will. And Will, yeah. like, went to grab it. That in that minute, like, in my brain, it was going in slow-mo, and I was like, there Will goes again. What awful thing is he going to do with this data that Crockett should never have handed him to begin with? 
And now we just are going to have a will rebel. So I was grateful that he just handed it to Grace because yeah. I was expecting a leak to the press, go all crazy to jump to get Jack off, all of that. I was just waiting for a Will temper tantrum. Yeah. So, of course, Grace finds Will, and she, of course, started digging into everything. And as it turns out, the lesion on Richard's liver wasn't on the pre-op CT, which means somehow 2.0 created the lesion on its own. And of course, Will's like, well, then yeah, duh, Crockett would have never gone near that area if 2.0 hadn't directed him there. And Grace is like, yeah, Jack thought he was protecting Crockett by erasing the data, but Crockett wasn't responsible for it. And Will's like, yeah, 2.0 was. Which in and of itself, especially when I was rewatching this, is such a it is a really interesting concept and story. Like, with 2.0 being such new technology, the fact that, like, in its error, something could appear on the screen that isn't actually there. And, like, Crockett... Yeah, I mean, the point of 2.0 is to rely on the technology, but if you're not... It can also... It just... I think this really highlights how easily it can lead doctors astray and, like, how, at the same time, you... Yes, it's nice to have the technology, but you really have to rely on your old school medicine ways because sometimes technology is, I mean, it has its faults. It can mess up. And can I give you my 2.0 rant? Yes, go for it. Please give me your 2.0 rant. I get so, I mean, we're back, we're back to like reality, the reality of it all. Mm -hmm. How is something that is only literally in one hospital presumably has it ever been tested on real people and gone through all the testing it should and even if it had it's only in one single hospital right now how is it going public what is going public you can't just make a machine go public you need to have a company with many many sales for the public to talk in it therefore that is I just, my, I don't get it. My favorite thing, though, is that, like, they basically did this within the span of, like, a few months. When, in reality, this would take years. Years! And it would be, like, in a laboratory where you've signed all of these waivers and you've agreed you want to be the test subject. And, like, yeah. it wouldn't be somebody having a random renal hernia repair was it re- no what kind of yeah for ventral hernia repair yeah whatever like, it, it there are so many other things that like all of a sudden it's just was it put in the hybrid or or is the hybrid or still there um you know because when they all of a sudden had to or 2.0 i was like where is it so i don't know i think the hybrid is still there like, sometimes it feels like Med just decides these new things are existing, and they forget, like, I- hospitals are very bureaucratic. Creating change is very hard. Yeah. You don't all of a sudden just dump this new technology, and you don't have someone like Crockett, all of a sudden, the magician at it. Yeah. Like, it's just... Every time they say OR 2.0, I'm just like, this is not a real thing. It is magical software. But how does it... No, I was going to say, it's one of those things where it's just like, this is the beauty of television, right? Where, like, we do a podcast like this and we want to read so far into everything, but it's like, it's television. Just, like, let it go. But I'm like, I can't. 
I can't. I cannot let it go. I'm okay with it, generally. Like, I'm not a doctor. Yeah, I'm not, like, sitting here being, like, it's ruining my experience in the way I do 2.0. But But it... But what bugs me is, like, I'm not a doctor, I'm not, I'm not in any of these professions, so I can understand how any law show, any doctor show would bother somebody in that profession to watch it yeah. and be like, this is very wrong. Like, there are a lot of shows I've loved where I've heard, like, people in metal community can't love. Right. It gets to the point that I have trouble suspending disbelief. It's when I'm like, yeah. this is what bothers, this is what, ultimately what makes this not one of my like favorite favorites is because I can't suspend disbelief that much on some of the scenarios that pop up in this show. Yeah. To me, it hasn't like ruined my ability to enjoy this storyline. Like I, I'm not sitting here being like, how did they create a war 2.0 so fast? Like i like, I'm not no. like I'm sitting here thinking about that all the time, but like, it is something that I know I remember when that episode happened. I don't remember which episode it is, but like when OR 2.0 first gets introduced, I remember having the conversation being like, where is this machine? Like, where is it in the hospital? How did they build it so fast? Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it is like, there's a little bit oh. of like, okay, this is a little too unrealistic. Oh, it's exactly where it is. It's like, it doesn't stop me from enjoying, like, I mean, I was, I, I'm really enjoying this idea of like, can what can AI do? Can it, how helpful can it be? How helpful is it for Crockett to now know if he had in theory, in fact, made a mistake? Like how helpful is it for him to know how much guilt should he feel? All of that. But it keeps the show. And it's not just this. I've seen other storylines where like in my brain, when I like think about the medical shows that I love and which ones are great and which ones are good, this is what keeps med for me from hitting greatness compared to others is because I can't suspend not not the only thing but one of the major yeah. things is in watching med I can't suspend disbelief and like be all in because sometimes the stories are just so out there and impossible that I I can't let it go. I still enjoy them, but I in the back of my head there's always the how did they even make this happen? Like I I can't feel like yeah. lost in that's fair. I used to definitely think about, I mean, and sometimes when Med gets like a case like that, like, or even especially in the early years, I was like, what? Like, this is like so unrealistic. I mean, the panda, like, I just think about the panda episode and I'm like, so, so much. Like, you know, the panda, it happened. It's a thing that happened. It's canon. It actually happened on the show. We can't deny it. So, I mean, like you think about that and I'm like, sometimes Med, I do feel like that, but I feel like more in these more recent seasons, they've gotten pretty good about being better with a lot of that stuff and like uh-huh. feeling like it's more grounded in actual issues that are affecting the medical community rather than these yes. just like outlandish cases that like, yes. you know, so I do feel like that. But yes, there's definitely still sometimes I'm like, ah, you couldn't just have an, a concept like OR 2.0 go public this fast and i mean a concept can't really go public either so like yeah there's still there's a little bit of that but yeah yeah um but we did have some listener thoughts on this brooke s said will getting the picture from owen was everything i didn't know i needed love that so much also so glad he and grace are over yeah that was not the they did not have chemistry that was not a no no 
Um, she also said, I would really like to see more of Will and Marcel in the future. But also, whenever they entered Jack's office to get the flash drive, I felt like we were in an episode of PD, and I'm not sure how I felt about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jamie R. said, am I the only one who finds it odd that at this point Will and Natalie are still in touch? Is that healthy for Owen, who's been, like, seven now? I mean, I don't think it's weird. I mean, I think what it's more weird that they just randomly brought it up in out of the blue but like i don't think it's weird that they keep in touch do you i kind of saw it as like owen like owen might not even remember when they were dating and it's more that like it's one of his mom's old friends that he liked and like yeah. has a relationship with i wasn't alarmed by that at all i mean Maybe it's because I like it seems so long that I don't I didn't think about it as Owen keeping in touch because Will and Natalie were they engaged? I can't even remember. Yeah, they almost were got they? married. They had the she was in a they wedding. Almost, okay, so they were like remember I, Will again. gets like with the FBI, he has to go off into witness yeah, protection and she's got the blood yeah. on the dress. Sheena talks about that episode a lot. Yeah, now again, everything's a blur for me. I know it all blurs so together much. after so much, so many, yeah, like, it all blurs together. It's fine, but I kind of thought Owen was so little at that point. Like, it would seem to me Will and Natalie stayed friends. Owen knows his mother's friend, like, it's single mother. Like, yeah, well, I mean, I can see, I can see there in a, I can see Jamie's point that it could be odd, but I also think it could be healthy. Yeah, I think it's not that weird. Um, Heather B. said, let's get this out there. The only reason there's even an idea of Will and Grace being together is to get her to talk to Will and trust him. They have no chemistry. They can't even define their relationship. And I swear if the Owen reference means they're bringing Natalie back so Will can decide he's over her and can move on to officially date Grace, I will put whoever came up with that idea in the same timeout corner as the person who decided that Jay would ever ghost his wife. <laughs> Men and women can't talk in a workplace and trust each other without a chemistry-free romance developing. Yes. I honestly, Heather, I hadn't even thought about the idea that Natalie would come back so that Will would be like, yeah, we're good at just friends. Like, I'm over you. And literally, that never even crossed my mind. I've been more that worried about the fact that mind. I've been more worried about the fact that Natalie's going to come back and it means Will's going to leave. So it literally never crossed my mind the fact that he could be like, yeah, I'm over you. We're just friends. Let me move on to whether it's Grace or not. Like, let me move well, on. Let me move on to Grace. Like <laughs> he and I Natalie would, have been more likely for him to have the epiphany he belongs with Hannah. Like he's literally since Natalie even left, he like flirted with Stevie. He flirted with Hannah. He and Grace. Like I mean, he's had quite a few relationships. Natalie even left, let alone since they've been together. Like I, I think he's moved on. But what do I know? What do I know? Um, but that is funny. Um, she also said, oh, and the whole thing where 2.0 just created a lesion where there wasn't one? Wow, no one saw that coming. I can't believe Crockett is doubting himself when Jack is clear as day lying. Why would he still want Crockett operating on him if he really thought Crockett was the one who made a mistake? Grace was being naive there. He knows exactly what happened and is using himself to propaganda propagand propagandize safety before word spreads that his robot surgeon isn't perfect and someone got killed. I'm going to be shocked if there's a good outcome for anyone involved in this, including Goodwin. That's my a question, great point. My question for you, my question for you is, 
I feel like they keep hyping up the fact that this surgery is very easy. That like, oh yeah, it's just simple. Like, do you think, I mean, obviously there's going to be complications. Like, I got that. Like, we're not going to have an easy- Is OR 2.0 going to kill him? I don't know. Is OR 2.0 going to kill him? I'm in for that storyline. That his own machine killed him. It's not, I don't think it's out of the question. Because we know that, like, they're hyping up that it's an easy repair. It's going to have some sort of complication. That's obvious. Well, so here's my question for you. Okay. Do you think Jack knew that OR 2.0 made the mistake? Yes. Because why else? I mean, granted, I think if he, he knew, obviously, that Richard died. So he wanted to hide that data. So which means he had to go in and looking for the data. I, th- I think he does. And if he didn't in the beginning, I think he has an idea maybe now. Because what, I, I mean, I'm torn. Because you had, like, it was clear Crockett didn't figure it out. Will didn't figure it out. Like, it took Grace doing a lot of digging to kind of make the connection. But I that- think, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's just like, I I don't know. Well, I wonder if it took Grace doing a lot of digging more because she knows how to do the digging, like, within all the technology stuff and how to find it. And, like, Jack helped create the technology, so he would also know how to find what he was looking for. Well, like, if you tried to say, like, Crockett, go look for the data, Crockett's not going to go out how to look for the data. Data. Like, what ended up proving to them that it wasn't there before was purely, like, the comparison of two CT scans. And so, like, it was that the CT scan from before the surgery didn't have the lesion, and then the one they looked at during the surgery did. And so it's, like, medically, it's, it, 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 like, it seems to be more of a medical thing to me to know to look at that. Yeah. As to look into it. And I don't I don't True. know if Jack would have been smart enough to like sp- or spend all that time going through all different things. Cause like what led Grace to even think to look at that original CT? That's a good point. I didn't really think about the fact that, yeah. Cause especially too, like I keep forgetting sometimes that like Jack's also not just like a really rich doctor. He's like just a really, really rich tech billionaire. Like that's just, you know, and so, yeah, maybe he wouldn't have known to look at because like I don't even know if he knew really what he would be looking at right and that's what I think makes it more compelling to me than just 2.0 did something wrong and they're hiding it in the day like they hid the data that showed 2.0 made a mistake Mm -hmm. nobody nobody would know 2.0 made a mistake like they don't have to tell nobody would know if she had not found that scan they could have gone years without knowing in that particular case that's what happened well, and so I guess my question is, is like, if they're going public tomorrow, theoretically, you know, the, in the future, right. tomorrow, do you have to make all your data, like, from pre-going public, public? When like, how would other go- people, how would other people find out? So, I don't, like, I don't know enough I about not, what it needs to I take something public. I am not a finance public. person, but, but from what I understand... Going public is purely about the financials of your company. So the actual like medical testing and all of that, I don't think there are any, I don't know. Well, but I guess I, I, I could understand think- like post going public, anything you do should at least be shared with your shareholders. Like I get 
that. But if this happened before you went public, like, is that information automatically become public to your shareholders? No, I don't think so. Like, you don't have to. I think it's more the fact that it shouldn't be operating on a human. Yes, like no, I, that. I be, that I definitely agree to with. Me but... The bigger issue. There was something else that was just out where they talked. Oh, uh, succession again. But like, to, the bigger issue is if this were well, if this were to come out, like they would likely have to pull the device off the market till they can yeah. figure out and fix the issue. In which case the stock would plummet or it would open at way too low of an offering and basically cause major financial, huge financial repercussions. Now, I don't know what the laws are. I can't imagine, like I've worked for a public company, I understand what you can and can't say. I don't know. I think there are rules about medical devices being used on humans. There are rules about how a company goes public, but I don't think they have anything to do with each other. It's more so that you just know that if you can't, if your device isn't approved to use on humans or gets recalled. Right. Yeah. And that makes sense. It was just more of like a, how's anyone going to know if you don't tell them kind of situation? I mean, well, that's, that is more. So I think what is interesting to me is does Jack know? If he doesn't know, what does he do when he is told? And if he does know, what happens next? Like, because I think either story could be interesting. He's known the whole time he's Mr. Evil, awful villain. Like, this paints as a 100% awful villain, not just somebody trying to make money, but, like, putting people's lives at risk without a doubt versus if he really has no idea, how does he behave when he does find out? Which also, he will probably be a villain. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. Yes, for sure. Um, but yeah. So next up, we have Dr. Charles and Nellie. So- I like them. I could watch a whole episode on their psych cases. Like, I think they're interesting in something medical shows don't generally do. Well, and I really just appreciate the fact that this year, especially, they've really gone back. Like, we've had less different psych cases and like this guy we've seen once or twice this year like you know they really made an effort to like bring patients back just in general on med but like yeah especially I feel like with the psych cases it makes the most sense to like keep bringing them back so I just I do appreciate that that like we get to see them pop up again and be like oh yeah this guy but I I this storyline I I really really like let's get into Let's get into the story, but I'll tell you what. So Liliana and Dr. Charles. Liliana is waiting for Dr. Charles as he comes into work. She's really excited because she gets the appraisal back for her house today. And of course, if it appraises, then, you know, she's basically all set to, you know, move forward with buying the house. And, you know, she's like, I've even given notice to my landlord. And they're like, okay, we'll have a little date after shift to celebrate, you know, blah, blah, blah. Cute little moment. So Nellie goes to see Dr. Charles and she tells him that their patient, David Sullivan, is back. Um, and Nellie is, you know, afraid, you know, she Dr. Charles is like, okay, well, what's he in for? And Nellie's like, well, I didn't I haven't talked to him. She is afraid because the last few times she's been there, she's only made him more paranoid and she's afraid that, you know, she doesn't want to upset him. So Dr. Charles goes to talk to David and he's like, I've been hearing voices again. 
Um, and he's getting ready to graduate and basically go off to college. And so all the voices keep telling him that, you know, like the diploma isn't worth it. You're not good enough to go off to college, blah, you know, all those type of things. And, you know, he also mentions to Dr. Charles that he's nervous because he's going to prom this weekend with a girl named Amber. And, you know, he's got his voices in his head about, you know, he's not good enough for her. She's just going to dump, you know, like all those type of high school things, you know, that, you know, but he thinks it's paranoid, you know, that he's being paranoid. That he thinks he's hearing voices. Yeah. Did, did you... I'm curious, did you see Dr. Charles's question coming back, uh, coming on the, what, what do they sound like? No, I mean, I kind of figured that it wasn't going to be his schizophrenia, that it was going to be something else. I did not hear the question of, I mean, I, I didn't see the question about what kind of voices they are coming. Okay, because that, that's it, because I immediately, as he's describing it, I'm like, huh, I wonder what they sound like. This sounds like anxiety. Yeah. And it was just me as someone who struggles with that immediately was like, I bet his schizophrenia was covering his anxiety this whole time. And Mm -hmm. he didn't know what that feels like or what that looks like. And now he's giving like a very clear description of anxiety from someone who's never had it before or of generalized anxiety from someone who's never had it before and it was so interesting because when Dr. Charles ha- said that I was like yes that was what I wanted to ask like it w- it was just it was an interesting feeling for me of being like I feel heard here yeah well and the thing is is so like even later on he's never like you said the schizophrenia has always hid whatever anxiety was underneath and, like, now, though, the thing that he talks about is he doesn't want to be defined by the schizophrenia. Well, later on, he talks about how he doesn't want to be defined, basically, by the disease. And what he doesn't, you know, and it takes him going through this conversation to realize is that he's really just finally getting to actually be a normal teenager. Like, because this is things that all normal right. teenagers deal with, all just humans right. deal with. And so, like, he's actually not being defined by the disease. He's just actually getting to fit in with everyone else. Right. And maybe, and you know what, we all, we actually could be, like, maybe he doesn't have any kind of clinical anxiety. No, and it was, but- you're right. It was, it could totally just be normal, but it, it is, it was interesting to see how much being, in treatment and being I don't know would you call it not remission but being treated for schizophrenia where he's not having those specific um, those those experiences and those delusions that he can feel something normal but he doesn't know it's normal right because he's so used to his like right even if it is like and even if it is clinical anxiety it's something that is treatable and manageable and yeah. he just doesn't know what it is and it's new to him um and it's just the sense of clarity that he doesn't have but it was yeah. I, it was interesting to me because I was immediately like that's anxiety like I like I was able to put my hand on it that's like that's worrying that's anxiety that's sure. all the anxious thoughts we all had at 15 whether or not it's to the point of being a clinical issue or just a normal teenager can't really determine you would have to see how much it impacts his daily life but like 
Um, it was interesting because that yeah. was my immediate thoughts was like, I know it's not, I knew it wasn't going to be schizophrenia again. They wouldn't have put that storyline back, but um, it was, it was, I don't want to say it was cute. Yeah, no, was. but I know what you mean. Yeah. So Dr. Charles, like you Validated. said, yes, it, he's convinced that David's just hearing his own voice and his own thoughts. So rather than try to silence it, he wants David to work on trying to engage with it rather than silence it. So he brings in Nellie and they basically sit in and they're like, okay, well, we're going to talk through each problem that's bothering you so we can, you know, come up with a solution so that you can maybe anticipate what's going to happen, you know, all that stuff. And like I said, David's really worried about the fact that Especially now that he's trying to do normal teenager things, you know, like go to prom, go on a date with a girl, you know, drive her, you know, whatever. He, that he's going to be defined by the schizophrenia. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. He's like, I just want to basically, he wants to feel normal. He doesn't want that to define him. And I love their, the comments that both Nellie and Dr. Charles make, which is basically just around the fact that like having the disease is not something that makes you less than anyone else. Like... You know, whether you have lupus or, you know, I don't remember the other ones to talk about, but like it that doesn't define who you are. Like it, yes, it's part of you, but it doesn't define you. And, you know, Dr. Charles even says, like, you can let in this case, they're talking about the girl that he's going to prom with, but he's like, you know, you can let her in as much as you want to. Like that's basically that's up to you to like let her in, you know. Um, which I just I really appreciated that conversation. And I thought the aspects of encouraging that role play for him to see yeah. here's how you have a conversation. It's okay. Like it was great. It was also great to just see Nellie and Dr. Charles partner with each other because you saw both of their strengths. Yeah. At different times. I would I will say I would be curious from an accuracy standpoint of someone who's actually like had schizophrenia and been admitted to know if you could ever mistake voices for like schizophrenic voices for yeah I don't like, know like normal doubts like that was the one thing that I kept going back to is it, it I can't imagine it feeling like the same thing but I also don't know right and uh, I guess it depends on obviously I'm sure there's certain levels that maybe some people right. certain people you know have and different- like what medicine you're on and like all the right. things but yeah I guess I yeah so that that was the one thing that I was like, I really hope the representation here is okay. Right. Um, and that it wasn't just like just that I don't want like like I felt the representation of the I know what it feels like to be this worried and feel like there's something wrong and mm-hmm. be anxious about it. But as someone who's never had schizophrenia or experienced that, I can't say that I know it would be that you could actually confuse those two things. Yeah. So Basically, the episode ends, and Dr. Charles goes to Liliana's place. He brings the pizza and the wine that he promised, blah, 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 blah. But Liliana's not in a great mood. She basically had to give up her house. She used the house money to bail her brother out of gambling debt. And Dr. Charles is like, okay. And he basically, so Liliana still, though, has to move because she already gave her landlord her notice. She can't, he, like, won't let her back out of it. So Dr. Charles asks Liliana, he's like, well, why don't you just move in with me? And she feels, though, she's like, well, why didn't you ask me then before I bought a house? And he's like, I, you didn't give me a chance to ask you. And she basically just feels like, though, 
that he's just asking her now because he wants to be Prince Charming and rescue her, um, you know, rescue her as the damsel in distress. And he's like, that's not what I'm doing at all. And she's like, well, you just make me feel like I'm a charity case. And he just, he doesn't have that. And he storms off and yeah, it does not end well for them. But um, what are your feelings just on to Charles and Liliana in general, Rachel? know like i don't know i i really didn't need the brother showing up i just like, i mean i i don't think he's i think he's gonna somehow cause more conflict and i don't i don't trust the dude no and i think their conflict like I, I felt like the conflict we were seeing with dr charles and liliana was good and interesting and compelling and like this seems predictable like this brother yeah. stuff seems more predictable yeah and i thought before he was introduced i was i because i still don't know like dr charles and liliana hasn't been my favorite thing this year but i'm not like i'm not like rage watching be like dr charles and liliana they suck i can't watch anymore like i'm not that either i'm just kind of like they're okay but once they introduce the brother now i'm just like "Eh," like i don't we don't need that like this is just kind of like pointless drama i'm like okay like that's how i feel is it especially feels when like there's so uh-huh. much else going on you've got like potentially people leaving you've got all the or 2.0 stuff you've got the hannah archer d you know sean archer getting a kidney like you've got so much else going on in other places that i'm like eh, do we really need dr charles and liliana eh. when i i found their story i keep losing the word compelling i liked their story because i thought it I don't love, again, don't really ship them together. Yeah. Um, but I think their story introduces some really interesting concept, t- context and s- story of drama in a hospital when you think of the power. Um, we got the union storyline that I thought was also interesting of like, yeah. how do you, what do you do when you're in his position? What do you do when you're in her position? Like, I thought all of those things were different and something you don't see anywhere else and were like an interest interesting stories to tell. The story with her brother feels stale. Yeah. Like it's something yeah. other places have done. I don't care. There's a little bit of maybe xenophobia in there. Like Yeah. yeah it's just it. it's just you can it. argue. It's just not it's not it. And I'm like, that took away from what I thought was interesting complexity of something that was just kind of there it wasn't the most interesting thing that happened but it was interesting story that was different than anything they've done before and anything you really see on tv and i'm like they kind of ruined something that i think had potential yeah so we had some listener thoughts jamie r said i really don't like or trust liliana's brother yes i could see his bookie come goons coming after her house but god damn it she deserves that house. I see where it could come across that Dr. Charles is being overbearing, but I see it as coming from a place of sincerity. He's just looking out for her. I also think it's coming from a place where he couldn't say CC and now he feels like he has to overcompensate with Liliana. I've seen that with people who have lost loved ones. I hadn't ever thought about that, but that's a really interesting point. I not about that either. Um, yeah, I definitely think, like, I can see Dr. Charles as being, like, trying to do too much and Liliana needs feels like she wants to do it herself but it's also like at the end of the day I think Dr. Charles is just doing it because he cares about her and like he's not trying to just you know save the damsel in distress and 
part of the story, like, that goes back to, I think, the interesting part of their relationship of, like, he's clearly more affluent, he clearly has, is in a different life position, like, all of that. Like, that's interesting to me, but because it's about her brother, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Yeah, one like, thing, I wish it, something it was, else had happened. I was with you until you introduced the brother, and now I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, and I think this would have been an interesting story if she had lost the house because of something else outside of her control. And yeah. now it's this question of, is he doing this for me because he loves me? Is he overcompensating? Is it because of something in its past? Or is he trying to just save, like, it would be a savior? Like, what is it? Yeah. Um, Heather B said, I really like that Nellie and Dr. Charles have seen David Sullivan several times throughout the season and seem to be ending on a note of positivity and destigmatizing mental health with his arc. I also like the way they threw out the idea of David being scared of hearing outside voices when it was his own chiming in with anxious thoughts. And meanwhile, Liliana has voices coming to her from all sides and doesn't seem to be able to listen to herself because of them. They're the only ship we have going on on med right now, and I'm kind of iffy on their storyline, but I hope she's able to stand up to her brother like she stood up to Dr. Charles. He was the safest option for her to stand up to, I think, and I hope that he realizes that and comes back to support her and kick, I think she says it, Pavel, Pavel, I I don't, I I assume that's how you say it, um, to the curb. But Heather always draws really interesting comparisons, and I've obviously never thought about the Liliana, you know, but it is really interesting. It makes sense. It definitely, I could definitely see it. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the last two storylines, they're, they're not like full fledged, like fleshed out storylines, but they're things we obviously have to talk about. So the quick little Goodwin and Maggie one. So basically Maggie goes to talk to Goodwin, you know, she's like, they were supposed to have lunch and she has to postpone because she got a call from that recruiter and she has a job interview. And Goodwin totally understands. I think Maggie is a little put off by how much Goodwin's like, no, it's fine. Like, go do what you have to do. Like, it's to- I understand. But, you know, again, Goodwin's Goodwin. She's the best. So, like, she she's like, I get it. Um, But then later on, Goodwin finds Maggie to check in and see how the interview went. And this is the moment we get. Oh, there you are. Oh, hey. I wanted to see how your interview went. Oh, it was fine. Just fine. Look, Maggie, I was caught off guard earlier. I knew this day was coming, but I just, I just wasn't ready for it. And to be honest, neither was I. And then I was really angry with Jack because he's, driving away one of our most valuable people. But I am so happy for you. (laughs) You know, you're always looking out for everybody else and you're finally looking out for yourself and that is a really good thing. Now you better tell me how that interview went. (laughs) It was great. Yeah. Really great. They want me to believe you from the ground out. Well, they'll be lucky to have you. I don't have the job yet. Yeah, well, you will. They they won't find anybody better. You best believe that. <laughs> Girl, you're gonna give me the keys to that ED. <laughs> I cut you loose in the ED. <laughs> I just 
just love this friendship so much. There was a lot. Was it? I don't know. I don't think it's, I think it's from earlier than this audio where she talks about trusting, like, I, I wrote it down. I like have it on my phone and it, it started with like, you can't always trust cold feet and like just trying to sabotage a good thing. It was very early. In that's the Archer. So that's later. We've talked oh. about it yet. Yeah, that's when she's talking to Archer. That's when she's talking. Ignore yeah. me. We'll get it. I knew she was talking to someone. I knew it was Goodwin. And I like wrote it down. And I'm like, oh my God. Yes, you're right. Yeah. That makes more sense. Maggie and Goodwin though. I, um. I love the way Goodwin is supporting her. Like she was upset at first. I think when you think of somebody like Maggie, who, I mean, back to the conversation of like, this is impacting her day to day. She wants to feel like you have the option of you can be Will and just be a rebel, or you can be Maggie who clearly feels a little bit of jealousy that Will is comfortable doing that. Right. And Maggie wants to work in the good. And so it's like, I love, and I think you're going to see, I think Goodwin's going to live vicariously through Maggie if Maggie does get that job and seeing like yeah. Maggie do great things at a place that respects her for that. I think this though, to me and granted, I, it's, there's never been an announcement. Nobody knows, but like to me, this just very much felt like Maggie, she like Marlene's going to be gone. Like that was literally why I asked you that question was, has there been an announcement? No, that, that I mean, was- and it makes sense. Listen, I, we all, you know, there, I don't, I guess, you know, but like, you know, the stuff about Marlene's health and the cancer. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it, it makes sense, you know, like they really worked with her. I know this year just to like, there were definitely episodes every now and then where Maggie wasn't there and it's, you know, because of all that, like, and, like, I get it. I mean, it doesn't mean I like it, obviously. Like, I'm sad if, you know, to lose her, but like, this just felt like if you were, if there was ever any doubt before this, this just felt like the nail on the cop that it's like, it's going to happen. But also if there is the right way, like this feels like the right way to write Mickey out. Oh, for sure. I feel like they really, like this, with this, with this exit and even with Choi's exit at the mid, you know, at the mid season, like those just felt like if you're gonna write a character out, like I feel like Med so far, is, at least this season, has succeeded with like the best ways to write, like, that's the way yes. that, like, that's the way Ethan deserved to go. It's the way Maggie deserves to go. If they're going to go, like, just let them go into peace. There's no drama. Like, just let them, you know, it leave. Mm-hmm. They're not dead, so they can leave the door open, you know, if they want to come back, you know, like, it's the way, it's just the way it is. It's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Yes. But agreed. I did. I thought it was hysterical. Like, they're laughing at the end of the scene when they're just, like, giggling and gossiping basically on the bed. Like, I was like, I love them. Like, I was like, I love them. And I'm going to miss mm-hmm. that friendship. Me too. Um, Another reason we have more female friendships on here. Yeah, we, we're we're literally losing all our females. So, yeah, more females, more female friendships. Um, And then last up, of course, is Archer. And I think this is obviously the big thing that's going to lead into part of a good chunk of next week. So, Archer's doctor comes to find him because... He's like, well, really, I'm supposed to go to Sean first, but I'm just going to tell you, Sean's a match. And he's like, you know, it's probably going to be basically next month or even sooner. But like, you know, within a few weeks, you're going to have a new kidney. 
So, of course, Archer goes to Goodwin to talk about taking time off and the whole situation, and then we get this. Not exactly sure how long I'll be down, probably around eight weeks. Well, you take as much time as you need. I'm just so glad your son is a match. Well, thank you. You were hoping he wouldn't be a match. I hear I'm thinking I'm doing such a good job acting excited. <laughs> Even though uh, I agreed to let Sean donate, the part of me, a big part of me, was hoping uh, it wouldn't work out. Hmm. You know, for what it's worth, you can't always trust cold feet. You know, that fear when the theoretical becomes reality. Because more often than not, it's just trying to sabotage a good thing. And this is a good thing, Dean. And now you can say the line, your your feeling about the whole thing. I loved that line. Like, it just, it felt like I was being targeted. Like, it, it, like, hit me straight to the heart. And it's not like I even have a situation in life right now where that is happening. But I remember... The last time I was applying to jobs, feeling like relieved when I didn't get the job. And I was always like, well, that just means that job wasn't for me. Yeah. And this felt like Goodwin being like, you shouldn't have been relieved. Like that cold feel, like, like it's that whole, like being stuck in the same place. Like I was just like, I want to record that line and put it on my wall in front of me every time I'm like feeling that because I was like, that is, that is the kind of thing I need sent to me. Yeah. It's such a good, it's, it's such a good quote. It's so good. And it's also not why I thought, like, I didn't consider what Archer, like, I knew Archer was resistant and wouldn't be happy, but, like, I didn't think about it as cold feet. I thought about it as him not wanting to put his son through, like, other things, but, right. like, when reframed in that way, I don't know, yeah. it makes it more interesting. Yeah. So then the last little piece of this, so Sean's supervisor basically comes by to talk to Archer and he's like, listen, we love Sean. He's been great. He's been like a model employee, but he didn't show up for work today. No call, no show. So of course, Archer's like, I'm sure there's an explanation. And, but yeah. So, and then he, of course, he runs into Hannah and asks if he, she's seen him. He's like, no. So basically that ends with like Archer going after Sean, trying to figure out where he is and what's going on. And I hope it's just yeah. more official drama. I don't need any disaster happening there. Gina and but I are convinced we're getting Sean Archer death trope. Death? Yeah. He's gonna die. Sean or Archer or both? Sean. No, Sean. But then but if Sean but then there's the kidney. Yeah, that's a different story, but I, I, no, Gina and I are, con- like, Gina and I like are convinced Sean- that Sean's gonna die. Well, what if Sean, like, got into a fatal car accident they didn't know about, but his kidney is intact, so they rush yeah. Archer into emergency surgery to get the donor kidney, like, Maybe. but can, I don't even know, I don't even know if that's okay with, like, donor, donor laws at that Oh, point. I have no idea about that. But, yeah, Gina and I are just convinced. Because, like, anyone's, anytime somebody tries to, like, turn their life around on these shows, it oh. usually does not end well. And so the fact that Sean, like, turned his life around, you know, I mean, it just doesn't usually end that well. If it went so far to, like, I guess to me, like, we only just got revealed that Sean has a crush on Hannah. And, like, if they were going to spend time doing that, why don't they actually draw the story? Like, 
Like it's just kind of. But like I think that's that- the point. I think Sean has a crush on Hannah. Hannah doesn't have a crush on Sean. I know, but like th- that never even will get a chance to play out if he's dead. I, I, who knows? I just, we're, I'm very convinced. I think he's not gonna be around. I just don't want him to die because the cause of his death or the thing that should did whatever it did to get him into a situation where he dies be that he was upset about the Archer Hannah thing. Like we know yeah. he was, but I don't want that to be like I just don't need that. That's true. That's yeah, we don't need that drama. Like if he's gonna die, he could just die on the table or something. Right. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Um but yeah, it that's yeah. it for- I think Archer goes back to villain status if, if Sean dies. Like, not not purposely, but I think he would just become really, well, really Well, he definitely grumpy. gets, uh, I think, upset. Like, he definitely leans into the grief, and I think then Hannah's yeah. the one to pull him out of it, and that's how... Oh, that's how they end up together. Okay. That's, I mean, oh. this is just theories. These are just Here theories. Is. This is what my mind... Brian and Tina wrote, wrote mad. This is where it would be going. <laughs> Well, this is definitely where Bryna would make it go, but, you know. Okay. Gina's well, not totally I'll... on. Gina's not on the Hannah Archer train, so. Okay. She's well, not there yet. I would be interested. I would watch it, I guess. <laughs> I don't need Rachel's Sean like, to die. I don't know. I just don't want Sean to die. Like, I agree with you. That's what I see coming, but I don't want it to happen. Yeah, I don't necessarily want it. I just, Sean Archer death trope, it's. It's gonna happen. I get it. What happens anytime like a father or a son or somebody shows back up and tries to turn their life around? Yeah. What happens? Yeah. But yeah. Any other last notes on med? No. Good episode. Good episode. Good episode. Fire, on the other hand. Yeah. Eh. I guess we got to start with the Carver Stella cruise of it all because this is what everyone has the feelings about on yeah. the interwebs. This is this is the big topic. So I don't have many feelings. I mean, I guess I have feelings. Oh, people, not even as well, not even necessarily the Stella Carver of it all. The like Severide bomb. Oh, the Severide bomb, like. Again, I texted you because I didn't know Severide was in Alabama. I thought he was in, like, somewhere in the Northeast. So I was really confused. And I was like, how did they forget where they sent him? Or did he go from one training to another? No. Yeah. That's that's yeah. my fault. But, yes, that I have feelings about. Um, I do have a question. Like, what are, what are people saying? Like, given I don't stay up with that. Like, oh, well, we will discuss. People feeling but- better about, like, when we, when we last talked. It was the mid-season, and we all kind of saw the hint of this, like, Stella Carver thing coming. We all thought it was annoying. Like, yeah, Severide was still around, but everyone was like, please don't go there. Please don't go to this, like, love triangle that nobody wants. Um, Have people been feeling better about it, given... I think people are just really confused about what's going on, because obviously it looked like they were going... Like, it seemed like Carver at least had a crush on Stella. And then they kind of dropped that. And then they were like, oh, well, then they had, like, the two seconds where Carver was hooking up with Seeger. And then they kind of looked like they were going to lean into Violet Carver. Yep. 
And then now they're back on like potentially Carver Stella if Severide doesn't come back. And now I think people are just really confused. I mean, regardless oh. of the regardless of the because people have different Severide feeling, like feelings about the Severide situation, but say if Severide is just out of the picture at this point, I mean, I don't that's a different conversation, but if you take Severide out of the equation, I think people are just really confused about like okay. what's what is happening. But I think most people would rather have and I don't I still I think most people would rather have like Violet and Carver than obviously Stella and Carver. Because I felt like I saw a shift. Granted, they didn't address like what got him over his crush. Maybe it was Seeger, maybe it was something else. But I liked that shift of seeing Carver turn to become more of a confidant and friend and someone Stella needed at the time, especially with Severide gone. And I definitely felt a shift in him having feelings for her. Um, Now, I, and so I was just curious if other people felt that way or if people were still anti-Carver because of the original thing. I think a lot of people in these last, I know personally I have, in these last maybe like, I don't know, four or five episodes, I definitely think I've come around to Carver just more in general. Like, in the beginning, I was like, I don't care for Carver. Like, what are we doing? Like, he, I, I just don't care. I think I've really come around on him feeling more, like, into 51 and really feeling more like the 51, in the 51 family. Yep. So I definitely don't mind him anymore. I still don't really know, like, if they were to go even, like, the Violet Carver route. Like, I don't know how I feel about that yet. And, like, definitely nowhere near yet, ready yet on Stella Car. Like, nowhere near, right. if they were to ever go there in, like, a year, two years, whatever from now. But, like... I was kind of hoping for a real... Like, I was into Violet Carver if it were a really, really long game. Like, it were a... Just the like flirty season, stuff right now. Like, 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 a while. Because she's... And, like, watching her go... Like, she's still going through stuff. Like, anybody she were with now would just be a fling and, like... We don't need that drama in the firehouse, but like no. seeing them become better friends and see that turn into something yes. and see her get through her grieving with him, like that interested me. And yes. I like seeing her interact with someone else. Yeah. Um, so I think people, but I think regardless, people are just really confused about what's going on. It does feel a little bit sloppy, like week yes. to week there. So I get that. Yes. So, okay. but right now, people are really just more pissed about the Severide bomb. Uh, valid again i I, it was a bigger bomb for me because i thought he went down the coast yeah not to alabama not to alabama so the episode starts and stella and bowden are bailing carver out of jail and bowden's like listen we've already called mag Knowles from the union like hopefully they'll just drop the whole thing and bowden's just like let's work on keeping this quiet he's like we don't need the investigation he's like it's just gonna stay quiet which, of course, nothing ever stays quiet, but. If it were supposed, can I just ask, and I, I'm hoping we get there, but, like, if it were supposed to stay quiet, the only three people who know are Stella, Bowden, and Carver. Who, of the three of them, who told the other guys? That's a great question. My guess is, and I don't know, is that it got out because Stella never showed up to Molly's for Kylie's thing. I bet. Okay, new new theory like fan fiction. 
Stella texted uh, Stella texted Herman and said, "Hey." And so she and Herman were texting, and Herman can't keep his mouth shut. Well, until yeah, the yeah. That's it's but totally... my guess is that it relates to like obviously. Right. She texted Herman that was yeah. like, "I can't." Like when he's been like, "Where are you? Where are you? Where are you?" Yeah. Herman, Herman, Herman can't keep his mouth shut. Stella to Herman. It was not Carver to anyone. It was not Bowden to anyone. Well, yeah, it Bowden was. was or Carver was getting arrested. He doesn't have this. I mean, well, even if it were after he were out of jail, like yeah. And they thought, like, they all, like, it was Stella. For sure. Okay, that's the, that was my, my hypothesis of the day. Yeah, so they go on this call, which literally is not important. They go on a call, they come back to the firehouse, and Stella and Bowden call Carver into Bowden's office. And basically, the ASAs reached out to the CFD, so obviously not kept quiet anymore. And so Carver's basically... As a result, he's been suspended immediately, pending a full investigation. Um, he's got to go clean out his locker, all the things. And so Carver's pissed. I mean, rightfully so. He's pissed. And he's packing up his bags and talking to Stella. And this is the conversation we get. Realistically, I don't see how ID can make a final decision until my legal situation is resolved. And that could take weeks, months maybe. So I'm out of a job when I'm broke as it is. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let Mike Knowles work his magic. We are putting a lot of faith in a grown man named Mike. I gotta take this into my own hands. How? I don't know. Somehow. Carver. I am so sorry that I dragged you into this. I should have called the police. Should have left you alone. Screw that. I I beat the cops there and... Those few moments could have made all the difference. I mean, what if Jeff had gotten inside your building by then? I'm glad you called me. I am going to do everything in my power to make this right. It was moments like this for me, though, where, again, like, again, I say this, that, like, in the beginning, I was not a Carver fan at all. But in a moment like this, where he's talking about the fact that, like, he would have done it for Stella again you know like he would have you know to come defend her he's like I'm glad you called me blah 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 I was like yeah like this is a moment where Carver finally feels like he's actually in the 51 family yeah and like I I mean granted Stella so you know that's a whole bit but like Carver and Stella just seem like such a good friendship like I'm here for their like friendship and not them like being you know in the beginning that was weird too and like I'm just I was just I was like this scene I was like like it's so good he's the only one in the firehouse who feels like he could be a quote-unquote big brother to her in the or a little brother whatever how yeah what however old he is i don't know their age but he he feels like he can be protect like he is yes like experienced enough in life to be protective and like protect her in a way that like the others either feel too young like that that she yes, can't too leave young out. or too old or it just feels kind of demeaning right yeah. um and so i like that about their relationship agree agree so harvard goes down to ied to talk to silva the guy you know the chief or whatever at ied um himself and we get this you're reading my staff isn't going to improve your situation you know you're rushing to judgment here mr silva 
I haven't even been charged with a crime yet, and if I am, it won't stick. This is no rush to judgment. You already had a written reprimand on your file. S scrape? I got in with the bridge tender? Even your sociopathic aide, Emma Jacobs, could see that was a bunch of nothing. It isn't nothing, Carver. It got you a written reprimand. It was up to you to stay out of trouble. You can't blame this one on IED. You know, most firefighters despise the Internal Affairs Division, think you're a bunch of rats. Thanks, I wasn't aware. Well, I'm not one of them. Remember that thing in Bronzeville in 2014? Fontana and Rainey? I wasn't involved in that case, but I know of it, yeah. That was me. You were the source on that one? I was still just a candidate. I would have been blackballed if it got out that I was cooperating. And still to this day, no one knows about it. But I did it because it was the right thing to do. Same reason I got physical with that bridge center, same reason I got arrested trying to protect my lieutenant from a dangerous man. My methods might get a little messy, but I am only ever trying to do the right thing, and you're gonna ruin me over it. Look, Carver, I, my hands are tied here, but if you can make this legal mess go away, my investigation goes away with it, and you'll be reinstated. I can promise you that. And again, like in this moment when Carver's like basically pleading to himself, he's like, you know, my methods might get a little messy, but I only ever try to do the right thing. Like he's basically making his case to Silva. Um, again, I was just what I this whole episode for me was like a very big win in the Carver situation and making me feel better about my feelings towards Carver. But I just, like I said, I, and I agree, obviously his methods are definitely messy, but like, I do believe that at the end of the day, Carver wasn't trying to, I mean, obviously it, was, it wasn't with malintentions. He's just, he's just a little messy. Also, I'll say something I'm sure is controversial. Severide's done way worse than what Carver's done. Like, in, in oh, certain, yeah, I mean, like, like, like I'm feeling for Carver when they're like, we can't do anything. We can't do anything. And I'm like, yeah, but like, look at what these other guys have done, and this guy always gets the the yeah out of the barrel. So yeah, no, no, there's definitely. I mean, there was that one time where Severide was so drunk and he crashed his car, and they thought he killed a lady, and he was like, "No, I didn't kill her," you know, like, and he it was like a crossover, or whatever, with PD, um, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's just one instance for Severide. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I feel for Carver because it feels like he always gets in trouble in ways the others don't. Yeah. So Stella gets this idea. She's going to take Mouch and Gallo to the homeless encampment where Shep is staying. And, you know, she goes to check in and she basically promises him that she'll come back for him after she finds him a place to stay. Like she's going to get him out of the encampment. And, you know, she even just makes a comment to Matt. She's like, he's not going to survive out there. Like, he, you know, this is what she has to do. So, Cruz goes to fill in at the academy and teach a class, you know, fill in for Severide. And Cruz mentioned something to the instructor there about Severide being in Alabama. And the guy's like, oh, he's not there anymore. And Cruz is like, wait, what? And the guy's like, yeah, his training ended and the people at the ATF complex were apparently so impressed with Severide that they asked him to pitch in on some big investigation. But he's like, I'm not sure where, though. And it's like, okay, bomb dropped. Like, what the fuck? 
And I really thought for a second they were going to be like, oh, yeah, like, Stella knows, but, like, you know, she just can't say anything. And if we find out later, that's not the case either. But I was honestly shocked. I was like, what? I did not see that coming. Well, is ATF the same agency that was one of the cross-agency things when Casey was there? And so he's on that that that's 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 i that's my theory is that it's somehow i don't know if casey kind of roped him in or like i i don't know how it ties together but that is my theory is that it has to do with that investigation so it's possible it's not actually a secret to Stella, and she's just pretending it's a secret no i think she was pretty upset i i don't think she thinks but my guess is is so in the episode description for next week's episode i can't remember the exact language but it says something about like stella gets a tip regarding the investigation or whatever it's like the you know so my guess is is that she talks to severide or something you know she basically like severide is the one who tips gives her the tip about whatever x y and z regarding the investigation oh oh we don't think that the (laughs) I shouldn't say this. What? He's going to end up dead without us ever seeing him again. He's going to end up dead? Yeah, maybe he gets killed in whatever he's investigating, and that's the end of Severide. No, okay, well, I have two conflicting feelings. One, I don't think they're going to kill him off. But honestly, after all the Jay stuff, last week I literally said I was like, I wish they would have just killed Jay Halstead because I hate what they've done to him since then. So if they're going to tarnish Severide, I honestly would rather them kill, knowing what I know now about things, I wish they would have, you know, but no, I don't think they're going to kill him. I just want a chance to say goodbye. Yeah, I I don't know about that, but I don't think they're going to kill him. Okay. I don't know. I, didn't, I, I just stirred that. I mean, I kind of was like, he's in an investigation. She's in an investigation. Like, how is this connected? Also, like, why was he at an ATF complex if he was going through arson training? Who knows? Why was it in who Alabama? Knows? Like, yeah. It, yeah. Before it was like Boston or Pennsylvania or. <laughs> no, it was always Alabama. He doesn't seem like he'd do well in the South. No. Severide does not seem like a Southern Southern dude. No. Okay. Uh, so, Stella, Bowden, and Carver get called down to 51 after shift to meet with this Mike Knowles guy. And, of course, it's not good news. Basically, the off you know basically they're sensitive to the optics about like the fact that like a firefighter beat up a homeless guy with mental health issues like it's not the greatest look and carver has two prior orderly misconduct arrests even though yeah all carver did back then was like get in a fight with a guy at a bar you know but still not the optics in total don't look great and, of course, because of all this, they're basically going to plan for charging him with felony assault and try to get jail time. And Carver's like, what the fuck? Like, really? So Stella's starting to feel hopeless re-Shep um, until she gets a call about a place with a bed for him. 
but they'll only hold it for two hours. So she goes back to the encampment and convinces him to go to the facility. And Shep's just like, well, you meant it. Like, you, what you said. And she's like, well, what did I say? And he's like, that you cared. And at this moment, I was like, you know what? I was like, this is really sweet. Like, Shep, obviously, last week, I was like, he's a little weird. Like, what is going on? But this moment was really sweet. Agreed. Oh, and Shep dropped the charges on charges on Carver. Um, which obviously also basically, you know, he was the only witness, so the SA can't make a case without him. And of course, because the SA's office dropped the case, AD dropped their case too. Also, I saw a lot of people talking about this on Twitter, and I'm curious if it bothers you. Shep like two times references Carver as Stella's boyfriend. And like she doesn't correct him like at all, and I was curious. Does that bother you? I only heard it once. So So in this scene, like whatever at the at the facility, he calls, and then also earlier at one of the encampment scenes. I heard the earlier one. I think I missed the one at the facility. Yeah, he calls her at the facility too. But I'm just Uh, curious. Does it bother you, or like do you think like it doesn't really matter? Because, like, of the situation and her just trying to, like, make Shep not angry. You know, like, it just, it doesn't yeah. really matter. There's a part of me that cringes. That cringes and is, like, but then there's a part of me that also says, like, this is Stella confident in her marriage and knows that, like, this, like, and her being mature and knows, like, this is not an argument she should have with a mentally ill man. Right, it's not worth for correction. It's not worth it. Like if Carver had heard it and then said something to her about it, like, yes, she should approach it. But in this case, it doesn't do Shep or her any good to correct it. Right. And it's not like somebody was hitting on her and, you know, like, it's just, you know, and she didn't correct them or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, like this, these situations were all like tense enough. You're trying not to raise Shep up. She's better off to ignore him than to rile him up even more. Yeah. I agree. I was just curious if it bothered you. No, I don't think so. I definitely noticed it. And I was like, oh, then the first time I was like, okay, the next time he does it, she'll correct him. And then she didn't correct him again. And I was like, okay, that's a choice. But it didn't bother me. Like, especially on rewatch, it didn't bother me. I just thought, I definitely noticed it though. Agreed. So this ends and Cruz finds Stella at Molly's and asks her, you know, basically he's like, why did you mention about Severide? Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, wait, what? So Cruz, of course, basically ends up breaking the news that Severide isn't in Alabama anymore. And that's where the storyline gets left. And it sh- everyone was just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Rachel, I'm curious. It's obviously now that Severide's been gone for a little bit. You know, good couple episodes. I don't know what how many off the top of my head. Six or seven, something like that. Yeah. Um. I guess I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts about how they've handled the exit? Like, are, do you wish they would say more of this? Like, I'm just curious on your whole thoughts on, like, the Severide exit and how it's been handled, I guess. And knowing I mean, how, right now, given the fact that, like, they just dropped this bomb that, like, Severide isn't in Alabama anymore and Stella doesn't know what's going on with her own husband. So... I would say up until this point, and like there's storylines I still have said I've not been as like 
into, but I have appreciated that they have not dwelled in the melodrama of like, oh no, Severide's gone. How's Stella gonna handle? Like, the, the firehouse moved on, and she's yeah. de- like, she struggled, but it's right. not been about her experience with him. This feels like it's up until this point that one line I was just like, ugh, this is what I didn't want to see. Yeah, was this kind of like maybe betrayal maybe not like that kind of melodrama I was that up until then I was good with it like it was a a shitty situation we we found ourselves in um this is how I don't want that situation handled and so I'll be interested to see how it plays out if it's just like a one-line t like or it's just one of the things to get us all worked up and then it ends up being something small well so two things. One, I feel like it's almost just a reversal of what they did when Stella went to Boston last year, except it's just like kind of reverse, you know, like True. Stella ended up ghosting him while he was in Boston. And granted, I don't think Severide has ghosted Stella, but he definitely hasn't been honest with her about where he is or what he's doing or right. whatever. Um, So in some ways, it's still similar. But also, when I think about it, too, I think it's interesting that there's similar situations on screen because, you know, the reason that Stella-Boston situation happened is because Miranda couldn't, you know, had to take some episodes off. And the reason now the Severide situation is happening is because Taylor is now not on the show. Who knows, you know, what is ha- what's right. happening there. And that's a different... I really think that that's also a frustration with this storyline, like, I don't know if people make as big a deal about that line if people have an idea about what's going on with Taylor. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, is Taylor true. coming back? Is he not? And again, like, I don't want to sit here and speculate about Taylor. You know, it's not really our business. Like, I don't think Taylor, again, I'll say this, like, I don't think Taylor owes us an explanation for, like, what right. he's doing and what you're whatever. I do think at some point, like... And I don't want to, like, speed up Taylor, whatever Taylor, you know, but, like, at some point, I do think there has to be a decision made. And even if it's just, like, you know what, for right now, I'm not coming back for season 12. And, like, I'll just start with, like, I'm not coming back for season 12. Right. Like, I just think at some point, it's still a limbo. And, like, I think it pigeonholes the writers and, obviously, the fans feel... Like, I, I do think it is kind of, like, looming over people's heads until, like, a more permanent decision has been made. Even if right. it's just, like, okay, I, for season 12, I'm not coming back. And then maybe I'll reevaluate or whatever. But, like, I, I, I it's getting to the point where it's, like, I, I'm just afraid that we're gonna find ourselves in, like, an upstead situation if there isn't, like a more concrete decision made sooner rather than later. I get that. I, um, I think you said it right. I I don't even know what else to say. I really, the thing is though, and I know people are really upset about this storyline or like this line and the scene in particular, and I get it. I, I just really still, am trying to practice grace for these writers because there's, this is such a hard situation. And again, I don't think, and I don't know, Andrea hasn't is not coming on the podcast anytime soon, so I can't ask her, but, like, you know, I don't think they know, and I don't know how much she would tell me anyway, but, like, 
I don't think, you know, at this point, like, I don't think Andrea knows what, what Taylor's, what, what is happening with Taylor in season 12. Right. You Which know, line, I, are you referring to the way Cruz tells her or are you referring to the no, line? No, just the whole Taylor? situation about like Severide leaving Alabama and not telling Stella. Okay, because you said line, so I was like, oh, are you sorry, the to- scene, whatever. No, the, the entire scene, okay. The whole entire, just, uh, the entire plot line of Severide being gone from Alabama doing investigation and like Stella not finding out Abe not signing out from Severide but also the fact that like he's still gone whatever and it may honestly too the writer's strike may actually help the situation potentially if it goes on because gives them time to figure it gives yeah and he gets more time off if that's what he needs you know it you know it may actually somewhat work in our favor but like at some point, it is just going to get to the point of, like, okay, is he coming back or is he not? And, like... I guess what what the parts that I... Like, I've been okay with it. Like, I... I was okay I, with it up until this and now... This. And then I think just going into, like, the fact that we're at the end of the season and, like... We still don't know. Yeah. We're in the... Well, and not even that's that we don't know, but, like, we're going into the summer. We're basically going to start new seasons. And it's, like, okay... So, I get it. You took the rest of season 11 off. I got it. I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with even if he needs more time off. Like, I'm okay with that. But, like, at some point, there has to be a more, just, like, there has to be a decision made. You're either taking more time off, you're never coming, and, like, you you plan to come back, just not right now. Or you're coming back right immediately for the beginning of season 12, or you're not coming back at all. There are only, like, three right ass basically i guess guess giving knowing that we have no like what he does what he does and it's his business and whatever is going on like like taking that aside and trying to like just give everyone grace in this situation it doesn't bother me what they've done up until this point where it feels like they're taking advantage of the situation in order to create drama that doesn't have a definitive end point like yeah. that's that's the part that bugs me. Like if we knew, or if they knew, and maybe for all we know, maybe they do, and they're just not telling us. Right. But if they knew one hundred percent, he wasn't coming back, or he'd be back within X episodes, and they were doing this to create that lead in and had it all planned out, which right. I'm pretty sure they don't. I would be okay with them introducing this story. Oh, However, for sure. introducing this story at this point where we have no idea like nobody has any idea where it's gonna go it just feels manipulative and unnecessary and i'd rather them keep going on the like subpar but we can survive part of how does stella feel about it how is she handling it and then otherwise just trying to deal with it like do the same show with his absence like that felt better is like i don't think stella cares about the fact that he's still gone I think no. she cares that, that he didn't, he tell, didn't her. tell her. So, yeah. like, if she just randomly gets a call for two seconds and is like, oh, man, you're not coming home yet. Like, I thought you were coming home, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, fine. I understand. Like, you know, like, if we get right. to, like, two seconds of her having that one-sided conversation, I don't think anyone – I mean, people are still sad that Taylor's not here and want to know an answer regardless but people are not like raging over the change to me it feels like they're using this situation to create drama and I don't want that like the situation sucks so please don't use it to add more drama 
even if it means it feels slightly more boring. Like that's kind of my. Yeah. And I will say like, I know I compared it to upset earlier and I think a lot of people are like, okay, well he kind of, this is kind of like now fires version of upset. Obviously right now, the thing that's different though about it is that Taylor theoretically can come back and I, but Jesse like left the show. Like that is already an announcement that was made. He has left PD. He's not coming back at least anytime soon. Also, didn't they know he was leaving? Like, like his contract was up. Like, yeah, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like the difference in the upset situation is they planned this. No, but the thing about the upset situation is like, they also could have handled that better. And like, they don't need to keep dragging Jay's name in the mud. Well, a hundred percent. Well, to me, that's that's exactly what the difference is. Is they know what what ballpark. Yeah, they that's have my to point. Play. And like they know what they were doing with upset, and like that was a definitive. Jesse's leaving episode three. That's all we got. He's not coming back. But we're and our decisions are our decisions, and that's what the writers have right. to live with. Right. This is like Taylor may come still come back. We don't know. And the writers may know. And we, you know, we don't know that. That's just right, but like but that's theoretically the writers don't know whether he's coming or going. And they have to kind of just Right. I think what I'm saying is, whereas I don't like this, like this little part and it sucks. If I were to put them, like rank them, they are not even in the same vicinity no, as me, like, a writer mistake. I think like, it's just more the fear that they'll that right. severide will get the jay halstead treatment versus it's Got actually it. happened at this point it has not happened Got at it. this point okay that's, and i think it's fair. more i think it's the fear that severide will get just like become so not himself and like start doing that you know like very much like that's jay. valid that's valid okay so, i'll give you that. but like i said earlier our listeners have Lots of thoughts about this. Like, lots of thoughts. So, Alexa S. said, I feel so bad for Stella. Severide never told her he was done training and was on to the next thing, and she had to hear the news from Cruz. If Cruz never mentioned anything, who knows if or when Stella would have found out. I mean, I think she would have found out eventually, but yeah, definitely we don't know how she would have found out. But she definitely would have found out. Um, Brooke S. said, Stellaride got upset. I'm trying to rack my brain for any reason why they had to do this. If he comes back, he looks like an asshole. If he doesn't come back, he looks like Jay. Why are they doing this? It feels so unnecessary, and I'm really hoping that someone can come up with some good reason for it, because I cannot. I don't think he necessarily... I mean, I guess it depends on how they handle it. Like, I think there's definitely a situation where I where Stella's pissed at him for not telling her and but like they could easily resolve it in like a conversation like i don't think he necessarily comes back looking like an asshole but depending on how it's written he could he could come back looking like an asshole yeah i mean she came back it all worked out yeah we all were kind of like stella what the fuck were you doing like what like we were all kind of mad at stella and then it worked out so they're both somewhat immature people like they can make mistakes yeah um, Heather B said, another what the fuck moment, Stella and Carver. For a story about Carver getting arrested, there wasn't much in it about how Carver actually felt about getting arrested and the implications that he may not only lose his job, but get jail time. Then we go off on a Stella adventure to find Shep. 
I like the idea they had going here of helping a man with mental illness instead of completely writing him off. But what was the actual fuck in the point? What the actual fuck was the point of the whole Carver story arc this season? He comes in. He's a great firefighter with a great track record. Can't connect with his family. Now we've seen him grow and be welcomed into this family. He's never had before. But it wasn't going to be taken away because he was protecting it. And that wasn't even mentioned. He was barely even part of the story outside of the meeting with Mike Knowles. And who was he given to talk to that he, or, and who was he talking, who was he to talk to given to, given that he goes by Sam instead of Samuel. I also did not see the benefit of him going to IED supervisor and arguing his case. Don't get me wrong. I thought Jake had an amazing, powerful acting scene wise. But we could have just easily gotten a scene of Bowden on the phone, just like we got in the end when he said the supervisor dropped the investigation. Overall, it was a messy storyline with an awkward direction that gave the circumstances that brought it about. They missed a chance to tie up Carver's storyline before the finale, where a lot of things will be happening, and I'm disappointed with the Emma level fizzle out of it. They even dropped the Violet storyline outside of her reaction to his suspension, which went nowhere. What was the point of him getting arrested? It's an interesting point. I mean, yeah, for something that's, like, really supposed to be about Carver, it doesn't end up being that much about Carver. No, like, I see, this is where I think I'm struggling. I see what happened with Stella and Severide and what happened with Stella and Carver in these situations. Two very distinctly different storylines, like, Yes, you can connect them if you think about the risk of Carver earlier, but, like, here they just feel like two very different things that Stella is dealing with. Yeah, I think the point, though, is more that, like, there wasn't as much car Like, it turned into more of Stella going after Shep and, like, trying to do right by Shep oh. versus, okay. like... Carver got arrested and they didn't really spend much time focusing on the fact that Carver got arrested and potentially could lose his job. Like he had a couple scenes about it, but like it really became more about like Stella helping chef out. That's I think more the point. That's valid. I think, I think in the case of knowing who Stella is, we kind of had to see that play out. Like she wasn't going to let Chef go. Yeah. And it, I think it was interesting to see that even amidst this, she didn't turn against him. Like, it, it tells a lot about Stella, and ultimately, like, the whole story is about Stella. Um, like, but I think you could have gone in different directions with the Shep storyline. You could have seen him continue to harass her. You could have seen other things. So, I don't know. I, I agree Carver could have gotten more time, but like everybody could get more time. So I don't I don't know if I'm going all the way there. That's fair. Um, she also said also Kelly Severide, call your wife. What the fuck? They are not about to do him do to him what they did to Jay. No way. Don't accept that. They can figure something else out. There are better ways to write a man off for than than for him to stop calling his wife. What bullshit. Agreed. Um, Erica B said, at this point, I wonder if the person writing this even knows who Kelly Sivright is. We've spent 11 seasons watching him in detail, try not to become his father. If what they just did in this last episode is how he exits, then they literally just made him into Benny. He married Stella less than a year ago, and I can't believe that the character would throw every 
throw her and everything he has accomplished away for a cool investigation. Oh, and not tell her? Then add to it Crystal cramming Stella and Carver into every storyline together, basically rubbing salt in the wound. I'm hoping that they find some way to explain this, and it's just one of those misdirects they like to put in the final line of the episode that gets cleared up the next episode. But for what we have right now, this is not the Kelly Severide that any of us know. On the actual topic of Taylor, I really believe we don't need or deserve an explanation or to know what happened in his life but it is fair to make a but is it fair to make a fan base wonder for this long and potentially way longer about the feed of the the fate of the lead character if nbc doesn't air scripted shows till mid-season like other networks we are looking at a full calendar year hoping for the best so no i don't think we deserve an explanation but a simple see you in season 12 would be nice and if he's just leaving and if he's leaving somebody just rip a band-aid and tell us so we could be move on Tell him. Yeah. I can't believe I'm saying that. But I mean, but the thing is, is like going through the J, like I literally said this last week. I was like, honestly, I never thought I would have ever uttered the words that I wanted to see Jay Halstead killed. But like to me, I could have, I would have been okay with that knowing that the legacy of Jay that they spent 10 years building was uh, protected. Yeah. And I feel kind of the same way about Severide. When Severide can be in his afterlife, wherever that is with Shay, living happy. Unless they're just going to do like a Severide moved over to OFI, you know, he came yeah. back and he moved over to OFI situation. Which like, that would suck. I could handle that as long as I just don't need him. Like, because at least in the OFI situation, he could still be married to Sella and we just don't right. see him. But like, he's still technically in Chicago, so he hasn't like abandoned his wife. I can handle that, no problem. But, like, if they're going to do literally um, pretty much anything else, then I'd rather them just kill him. Agreed. As much as I don't want that to happen, but, like, I, yeah. Um, let's see. Gwen said, I think Sev could be helping Stella and Casey secretly with the ATF and Homeland Security on the terrorist attacks. Remember, Stella knew why Kate only Stella knew why Casey was there. They never told anyone else from 51 what was going on. So maybe they filled Sev in. He started doing some digging and without blowing his cover, the news Stella finds out next week is actually what he shares with her. She just can't say Sev found it or he'll blow his cover. I definitely think it may have something to do with the Casey investigation, but I don't know how it all ties in. Like, I don't know if Sev's going to call Stella. Like, I don't know if that's, but I think. That would make sense. But. Um, Gwen also says, also could be Sev saying he knew she just had a lot on her with the Shep Carver stuff and didn't want to add more to it right then. Parallel to season nine when he didn't want to add more stress to her about the test. So he pushed her away after the white shirts made a dig about her moving up the chain because she's with him. Um, and then she also said, some reason, after I calmed down, I feel like this isn't a case of ghosting like we got in season 10, roles reversed. They shared a text thread to then to show she hadn't responded to his messages. We haven't seen that or Mopey Stella like we saw with Severide in season 10. So, and I think that's a fair, valid point. I don't think Severide has ghosted Stella. I think he just lied to her. Yeah. Uh, just. Which, yeah, which sounds terrible, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm hoping what, um, was it Erica, like, 
whoever said, I hope this is, yeah, the Mr. X, what Erica said about the Mr. X. Yeah. That they, I'm hoping that's one of these. Like, just resolve it in the first five minutes, please. Yeah. Or even halfway through the episode. I can handle that as long as you resolve it. Yeah. Um, Amani said, if you asked me last week if I'd hope Stellaride would get through the season to deal happily married, I would have, without a doubt, said they'd still be together. I would have even said that if, I would have said that even if it was announced Taylor decided not to return, because sending him off to OFI is so easy. But what the fuck was this episode? Severed's not even at the training course in Alabama and Stella doesn't know. Now my all, my hope is out the window. If next episode we find out that he couldn't say anything for legal purposes or whatever, I'll buy it and let it slide. Otherwise, that's a load of crap. Writers have such an easy way to give Severide an out if trailer's truly done. Why are they going the BS way of Severide not communicating? They've literally been communicating this entire season, including that time Severide has been away. So why are the writers fucking it up all in one episode? Might I add, this is literally the week before their one-year anniversary. That's truly some next-level BS the writers are coming up with to potentially ruin one of their their one-year anniversary after all that shit they've been going through. If Taylor wants out, send Seb to OFI or give him some heroic off-screen death. Please, and then says writers, please don't take this seriously. If Taylor doesn't want want out, let Seb stay in Alabama to finish the course and come back home to Squad 3 and his wife. Or even just make Seb tell Stella that he's helping out on a case so he has to extend his furlough longer. Doesn't take a genius to figure that out. This circle of not communicating is tiring. They've spent their entire marriage taking things out. Oh, the one thing I did want to, and she brings this up. She says, I swear if the writers pull off the famous Alex Krebs, but with Severide, I will actually cry. Yeah, Alex Krebs is up there too for me. And like one of those, I would have rather them just killed him. I don't actually know what the Alex Krebs because it's basically a very similar situation so like when justin chambers left Grey's anatomy it was kind of like a very like everyone was like what the fuck like why is he kind of in the middle of the season whatever very last minute whatever oh and he left joe like right yeah he basically got remarried to joe like they were very happy and he basically left joe with a note to to izzy yeah, he went back to Izzy because Izzy had his babies and they had twins or something. I don't remember. But, like, some yeah. some stupid bullshit. We were, like, literally, what the fuck? Like, yeah. they, like, okay. they literally would have been better off just killing him off. Okay. And so, but, like, it is a good comparison. Like, it, you know, it's kind of Jay, Alex and Jay up there is, like, you know. Yeah. But, anyway. um, Yeah, and, I mean, Imani keeps going about, you know, like, she even says, like, they don't have to break them up if Taylor wants to leave. They could stay married off screen. I know people say that it limits storylines for a character that stays on screen, but I don't believe that. I'm curious. Do you believe that? Like, this do you right. think that they could have a successful, like, stellar I'd stay married, never have really any issues, but never see Severide? Um, for, like, a real, like, long term. I don't want to say it's impossible, but I think it's really, really hard. I think, I don't even think it's that hard. I just don't think, I think the writers want drama, so they'll never do it. That too. Like, I mean, especially on these shows, like, I just don't think they would do it. Especially for major characters, like, like, 
obviously in a situation like with Bowden, I mean, Bowden's been married, happily married fine to Donna off screen and we just see her every now and then, but that's such a different situation, you know, because, yeah. Well, and like Donna was always a recurring character, you know, like it, it's just a different situation. I don't think it's impossible. I I don't think it's impossible. I agree with you. It's unlikely to ever happen. I think it becomes very hard and they would have to, they would have to do something to replace the way we all feel about Stellaride to give us that feel. Because that's part of what makes fire so good. Yeah. And with that absence, something would need to fill those shoes. Yeah, like I don't say it's impossible. Like I I think think the writers could very easily come up with ways to, you know, to do things with Stella, like have her do more girls on fire, have her do the like like they could definitely come up with other storylines. I'm not gonna say they couldn't, but I just think I don't know. I just think they're never gonna do it just because you don't I I mean I I might what I say you don't have an attractive younger female on a tv show who just kind of doesn't get the romantic drama on ever yeah like and that's what happened like that's that is I the mean, problem well and these are soap operas basically right you right. know like there's always going to be drama so like i just i just don't not that they as, couldn't do it the writers are smart they can figure out a way to do it and do but it as well to say that is the difference between who Bowden is in the role also, yeah. I think this little sexist, like, I think a man, like, it, there's something about the man versus a woman, but, like, you can't take someone who is a lead and just basically say that she never gets the romantic drama anymore because her husband is just off screen. Right. It's just, unfortunately, the way television is kind of set up. Yep. And, like in our world and like i said it's not that i don't think the writers couldn't come up with a way they could totally right. come up with storylines for stella that don't involve severide and you know but the, yeah. it, it just won't happen yeah and that's a that's i think the unfortunate part about just long show like long-term shows like you know like it's the risk you run that like unless both people decide to leave at the same time so then you know it's just the risk well, and I think that's part of why we ended up with Upstead where we did. Yeah, oh, for sure. What, and it's the reason that Dawson and Casey ended up the way they ended up. Yeah, that too. You know? Yeah. Monica left, and Casey and Gabby were married, but they couldn't stay married, you know? I mean, they wanted different right. things, too. Like, regardless, I don't know how well that relationship would have lasted, but... It definitely fast-tracked their divorce because she yeah. decided she wanted to go live in Puerto Rico. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So. Alrighty. Next up, the other controversial storyline of the night. Fred. And the baby. Controversial? Yeah, a lot of people have a lot of feelings about this. Oh, great. I can't wait. So... This starts, and Violet asks Brett, you know, how she's doing, and she's really, Brett is not okay. She's worried about the baby, and she's, like, purposely avoiding Dylan's calls, which she won't admit to, but she is. She doesn't want to talk to the man, um, because he's bland. I mean, she she doesn't, I mean, and I think that, uh, we already all know that Dylan sucks, but, like, 
it says a lot that like she doesn't want to talk to this guy that's in her life and you know what she's yeah. going through something major but anyway so violet's like okay well well after you know our call or whatever like let's go visit the baby at med and maybe that'll make you feel better and brett's like yeah so they go to med and they find out that dcfs has moved the baby from the hospital to like an emergency temporary custody type situation and brett's like well i don't really know how i feel about that like you know, she has a lot of feelings about that, and so she decides she's going to call DCFS and get to the bottom of it. So, of course, Dylan stops by to see Brett and, like, give her this picture that a kid from the hospital drew her or whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've been trying to call you, but, like, you're a tough one to get a hold of. And this whole time, Brett's like, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. And, like, no mention of the baby whatsoever. No mention, because she even call oh. like refers to the baby as like a patient at one point, like not even the fact that it was a baby, not a seventy six year old man or whatever, you know, whatever the situation well, is. She like no mention of the baby. Yep. So, Brett goes down to DCFS to meet with the baby's caseworker, and you know, she's just like, listen, like there's not much I can discuss with you, but like I promise you, the family that has the baby, is, you know, is a great family. And, you know, Brett comes clean to the caseworker about, like, why she's really upset by this whole thing is that she wants to adopt the baby. And, yeah. (laughs) It, yeah. So, Brett's upset, though, because the caseworker said it was, like, near impossible, you know, to, for Brett to adopt her. And even if they could make it work, it would take months. And this is her conversation with Violet. She said it was impossible. She used that word, impossible? No, but she may as well have. She said it would take months to get approved to adopt. Even if I hire a lawyer to fast track it, there are so many parents waiting to adopt a newborn. Amber's baby would get placed within a few days at most. And that's if the family that took emergency custody isn't planning on adopting her, which they probably are. I'm so sorry. There was this moment right after I said the words out loud where my heart just filled up with hope and possibility. Look, I know this isn't what you wanted, but everything happens for a reason. And this experience, as painful as it is, made you made you realize that you want a baby in your life. It's a beautiful thing. And now that you know that, you can start figuring out how to make that happen. But that's the thing. I don't, I don't just want a baby. I want that little girl. And I don't know if it's because our stories are the same or if it's the crazy, miraculous way that she came into this world, but way I felt when I held her. She wasn't a stranger, Violet. She she fit perfectly in my arms. But I guess you can't give up yet. No, I can't. I think Violet's comment is spot on that, like, 
it may not be this baby, but it's like, it's the situation that helped you realize what you wanted in life. And that is to be a mother and that is to adopt a baby. And that's great, but it may just not be this baby is the right one. I think Violet makes a great comment. I think Brett's reaction leads me to believe she probably shouldn't, like, if the only baby she wants is this baby, let's dig more into why. Yeah, I, I think... I, I can't justify any of this, so... I my thing is is I think this this storyline is different if you start it like three episodes ago, a hundred percent. Or do because you start I think part of the problem is that it feels rushed. Yes, and, and I and also like let's talk about her lifestyle. Like you, why? How do you? Like, it's one thing if you end up in a situation like Casey where these kids are left at your doorstep and like you 15. have to find a way to make it work. Or Cruz where they fall in love with this boy and they already have another child and he has a spouse. Yeah. But we're looking at a single person, I wouldn't say man or woman in this case, who has no support system and work shift work 24 hours on and off. And all of a sudden decide she'd be one thing if she'd been thinking about this for a while. But yeah. to all of a sudden decide, I want a baby. That is not the logical Sylvie Brett we know. Yeah. Like I said, I and I think even, you know, she's talking about the fact that it feels very similar to her situation, you know, like that she was adopted, whatever. And I think that all makes sense. Like, I have no problem with any of it I just feel like it feels very rushed and not even just not even Sylvie's decision it just feels like you literally started this two episodes basically before the finale like that seems like a lot this is again where I think it's an interesting story of how she sees herself in this child jumping straight into adoption felt yeah rushed you got it it just like i said i if you had started this three episodes ago i don't think i feel any of that yeah or you i mean you know and maybe even a hint maybe this case had happened in you know 1103 and then they bring it back you know two or three episodes before the finale okay fine like i could even understand something like that where but I, yeah, it just feels a little rushed to me personally. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Brett and Dylan have dinner and she tells him about the baby. And it's really, this whole thing is really awkward. I mean, Dylan and Brett have always been awkward and like nobody likes Dylan. And it's just at this point, like Brett is settling and she needs to break, regardless of the baby, she needs to break up with Dylan. Yep. But this is just so awkward. Like, it's so awkward. And, like, Dylan just keeps kind of sipping his drink because, like, what else is the man supposed to do when this girl you're dating is trying to adopt a baby and, like, you clearly probably don't want a baby? Like, it's just, I don't know. It feels very weird. Agreed. Like, very weird. So, 
Dylan does come up with like a good idea though. He's like, listen, like go see the baby. Like if you keep obsessing over the fact that like, you're not sure if the baby's okay, well then like go see the baby with the family. Like it'll give you a sense of whether the baby's like, you know, it's, it's a good fit or not. So she goes to visit the family and they tell her that they're not planning to adopt the baby. And, you know, but they do mention, though, that there's one way Sylvie could fast track the adoption. And that's basically if she tracks down Amber, has Amber reclaim custody and then designate Brett as the legal guardian. And we get this scene with her and Violet. Hey, starting to worry. I know. I'm sorry I'm late. I was at the foster home. What? You saw Amber's baby? I did. And she's doing great. She's perfect. The couple that she's with are wonderful. Violet, you're not going to believe what they said. There is one way that I could cut through the normal adoption process. It's not impossible. Really? How? Amber would have to be willing to reclaim custody of the baby. I know she made it perfectly clear that she doesn't want anything to do with the baby. Okay, and if she does? If she does reclaim custody, she could then designate me as the legal guardian for the baby and eventually the adoptive parent. I know, I know it's a long shot, but I can't help feeling like- There's hope. I'm so afraid to even let myself imagine it in case it doesn't happen, but if it does happen, what if I'm taking away her chance to be with a better family? Not possible. I'm not even a family, I'm just me. Am I crazy to want to do this alone? You won't be doing it alone. You've got all of 51 behind you. You know that, right? I, I don't know. I Again, I just feel like this feels so rushed. Out of character, too. I don't even know if I'd call it out of character. It just feels like she hasn't had time to really sit and think about it. Well, that's the thing is she doesn't, nor isn't normally an impulsive person. So that's why it seems out of character. That's fair. I don't know. I just... I have one thought, but I'm going to finish it. So basically this episode ends and like all we see is Brett showing up at Amber's house and Amber's like, what's going on? You know, whatever. So have you seen the, you saw the promo for fire for next week, right? Yes. With Casey. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So there's a lot of theories floating around the Chicago fire fandom about. I think I know this theory. About obviously that it looks like. She's leaving. Well, yeah, that she's leaving, and a lot of people think the promo is Casey proposing to her. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. There's, like, a shot of him. Well, there's two shots. There's one of him, like, standing at her door, and it looks like he's got his hands, like, crossed in front of his body. Like, kind of, like, like potentially, like, he could be hiding, you know, whatever. And then the other shot is, like... You can see his the back of his head, and she's clearly looking down at him. Like, maybe he was, like, on his knees or something. Like, he's, she's very much okay. looking down. But anyway, that's just people dissecting the pro, you know, the promo okay. or whatever. And we all know the promo doesn't, you know, takes, like, two seconds of footage and really, right. you know, whatever. But anyway, a lot of people's theories is that, like, Casey's going to come back and you know, help Brett adopt the baby, whatever. And, like, basically, they're going to go off and get their end game, and Hera is going to leave. Okay. And my thoughts about this storyline, in the more I think about it, too, is I still think it's rushed. Regardless of everything, I still think it feels very rushed. 
But, but I will say, I think if it helps, again, get like a good solid character exit where like the character gets to go off and be happy and be with the person they want to be with. And like, if it gives a chance for like, Casey and Brett to get back together and they get to go right off into the sunset and yeah Kara leaves the show and that'll be really sad I will be very sad and I love but like I think I can forgive a little bit of this weirdness of the storyline just if like if they're doing it so that she can have this exit then I think I'm more okay with it than just like if they do if they were to do it and yeah she adapted the baby I think I'd still enjoy the storyline, but I think I would just be like, but that was really rushed, and where did this come from? Agreed. I like that. I didn't think about it that way. But, yeah, I still would have rather than have it spaced out a little bit more, but if it gives me my Bretzy endgame, then I'm okay with it. I, I'm, more, I'm more okay with it. I'm already okay with it, but, yeah. Okay. So, Yeah. But do you have I me mean, like do you do you think though that like I guess you agree with the idea that maybe they're setting Kara up for an exit? Like does that feel like this to you or less so it's, than others? I think it's felt like it for a while with her. Like she's she's really felt like I don't know. Like her storyline has felt very wavering and unsure and and she wants something different. I also think there's only so much more you could like I don't want to call her played out but at this point like she's gone through a lot of like your typical storylines yeah and so like again let's <laughs> I hate to go back to it but attractive younger woman what else can you do I don't really want her dating anyone else in the firehouse anymore like no how much more do you add to the same person so yeah think so like i'm sad i will be devastated to see her leave however if it gives her a good ending i'll be fine with it yeah yeah i just feel like they've really this year not known what to do with her i mean obviously and like they the dylan stuff is just yeah that's just really bad um and so i guess like i said i wish it wasn't so rushed but i think i'll be more okay with it if it is for kara's exit but, you know, I don't know. Yep. I, and I still uh, don't know how the Casey of it all fits in, though. Like, I keep sitting here thinking about it, and I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, I want Casey and Brett to get back together, and sure, they can make up and get back together, whatever, but I'm like, like, so is he just gonna adopt the baby with her? Like, I'm like, like, how is this all gonna get resolved in one episode? Because we know Jesse's only gonna be around for one Like, I, I do have a lot of questions on, like, is it still going to feel really rushed next week? And the answer is yes. Yeah. It's going to feel real rushed. Yeah. But anyway. So, yeah. But I know a lot of people have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, Brooke S said, I love Sylvie, though I'll be crushed if she leaves next week. I really just hope she's happy because she deserves it. Yeah. I agree. I'm all just for my characters leave. If they're going to leave, I want them to leave happy. Agree. That's all I, that's all I want. Um, 
Heather B said, Sylvie's storyline had me whispering horrified with the fucks during every single scene. She just decided to up and adopt the baby and is being borderline obsessive about it to a very alarming degree. Violet was giving good advice until she started suddenly encouraging her. I'm sorry. They work with kids every day. Keeping one kid calm during a call doesn't say anything about her need, desire, or ability to adopt the specific baby that she wants. They've handled Javi's adoption well, but this so well that this one feels rushed, creepy, and like it's set it's a fast setup to end badly so that she can run to Casey. I'm not a fan at all. Just what the fuck. I can I can see why people think that too. It's not how I necessarily feel about it. Um, I mean, I do agree that it's rushed. It feels very rushed. Um, but is it going to end badly? I don't. I don't think it's going to end badly. Especially, it's I not, think no. That's, I think it's going to help it end well. But I mean, that's an interesting yeah. view of it. Like yeah. if it ends badly, she run, That's another hypothesis. Okay. Um, Natasha said the Brett storyline feels too fast. Adoption can be a really long process, often too long, but it is a process. Also, it takes 40 weeks to just state a baby. That gives you time to prepare. Legal adoption also gives you time as well, often gives you time as well, too. Time to think, time to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. I really hope that what Violet said would be the logic in her story. Her feelings around this baby let her know that it is what she really wants to do. She wants to be an adoptive parent, the same wonderful kind of parent that raised her. This is a beautiful thing about adoption. This is not what I saw last night. But Brett has been adrift much of the season. I've been worried about her. This makes me even more worried about her. It feels like she's fixated on this one baby. There was something frantic in her actions like she desperately needed this baby. Again, I find that concerning. Um... And then she says, like, again, I own that I'm adopted and may have feelings around that that hits differently to some, but it just all felt too fast and it left a test of desperation in my mouth. I can see that. Yep. I like uh, that Amani said, um, listen, as for the promo for this finale, I don't mind if Bretzi end up together. I really don't. But using a couple for the finale promo with nothing else attached to it is so lame. The only way I accept that is for like a wedding episode because those are always built up over the course of a season. The adoption in Casey returning for a potential Brett at game is unbelievably rushed. Brett is still dating Dylan at this point. The promo should have been cut about a call or something more exciting than just a relationship that may or may not have ha- happened. Give me the promo where it's dramatized and edited to make it look like someone died. Give me the action. That was not what it was. Um, it's literally just a storyline about Brett wanting to adopt the baby and Brettsy maybe getting back together. This adoption storyline is a way to write Brett out. Then I ask why. The reason Brett leaves could have been a job opportunity related to paramedicine. Adopting is such a reused storyline now. It's the third adoption bit from fire. If this isn't an exit strategy, then I wonder why they even have the storyline. I don't even ship Dossie, but I see that it's way too similar to them, but having Brett instead of Dawson. Um, Yeah. I've I've definitely seen that too. I've even thought that like it definitely from the episode descriptions it felt to me kind of similar to Gabby's situation. I think they're different now looking back on it. Um but again, like with the promos, we know that they're literally, that's that's the point. They don't focus on like the main call a lot of times, not always, but like they focus how many on t- the thing that'll draw people that's most exciting. Like and in this case, it's that he's coming back. Like, well, and even the thing, like from the promo from like a couple weeks ago when Carver got inhaled all that 
whatever it was, gas or whatever it was. Yeah. They literally made that the whole promo. It looked like Harvard was going to die. And that was like two seconds of the episode. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. I mean, yeah, it's not like Andrea sitting here being like, this is exactly what needs to be cut for the promo. Like NBC just does that themselves. Like, oh, this sounds interesting. We're going to make a promo out of it. Yeah. It's, it's, I find the fire promos to be the most misleading fun things to watch when you're just like, how different is this episode truly going to be? Like, I watch yeah. them mostly on guest. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're very misleading. That is an understatement. All righty. So last up real quick for fire is the cap gallo ritter boda whatever this whole the group chat storyline i loved this this is my favorite part of the night really oh my god i loved it so much i laughed so hard really i did not care for this oh my god i I was let down so hard by this i had such high expectations for this and it was not what i thought it was gonna be oh i i was obsessed um i thought it was great so it starts with gallo and ritter of course mentioning that carver got arrested and cap is like just finding out and he's like did you guys know and to like tony amouch and they're like duh like of course we knew and like of course cap's basically the last one to know about it so later on cap starts to get suspicious because everyone's phones go off at the same time but his and he later realizes he's like, I've been left out of the group chat. So Ritter hesitantly, keyword hesitantly, adds Cap to the chat. But of course, the first thing he notices is like everyone else who's in the group chat. He's like, Violet's in here, Melch, blah, blah, blah. Like, he, Cap's pissed. He's pissed. So... Of course, Cap starts being Cap and texting the group chat, annoying people, sending TikToks, whatever, you know, whatever Cap does in the group chat. And Cruz leaves because he's like, I don't have time to deal with this. He's like, I, I, nope, I'm, we're not doing this. So later at Molly's, the group chat goes off and Gallo says, you know, he's taking Cap off. He's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm taking Cap out. We're done. And Ritter even mentions the idea of just starting a new group chat entirely. And Gallo's like, no. He's like, you cannot violate every rule of group chats and not expect consequences. And I'm like, how many rules of group chats are there? <laughs> but. There are. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely some know. basic ones, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Where was I? Okay, so later on, Gallo notices a weird number in the group chat, and he starts asking, like, Violet and Ritter and Tony, and, like, nobody knows who this group number is. They don't have them in their contact list. They're like, what the fuck? So the next time they're on shift, they're like, okay, well, we're just going to use the landline that the station has to call the mysterious number in the group chat to figure out whose it is. It's Bowden. And then Gallo and they're just like, what the fuck? How did Bowden end up in there? And Mouch is like, I added him. He's like, it seemed rude to exclude him. And then it basically just ends because like Bowden's sad that like, obviously they stopped using that group chat because I didn't want Bowden knowing all their gossipy whatever. And Bowden's like, 
Yeah, he's like, I somehow, like, must have left the group chat. He's like, it, it's not getting texts or, you know, like, uh, he's like, I'm sad. He's like, I miss the videos. I loved that. Just that part brought me so much joy. Yeah. I don't know. I, like, to me, it was just, like... I thought it was fine if it was just more like about Cap starting to like annoy everyone or whatever. And then they added in like the little Bowden thing. And I was like, okay, but how does no one have Bowden's number? Like that seemed a little weird to me. I don't know. It was just like, it just, I guess in my head, I had a different idea of what the storyline would be. And this was not it. The thing is the people they were taught, like it, ugh, I loved it because the people they were talking to probably wouldn't have Bowden's number. Like, why would the newer firefighters have it? But He's, why would Tony not, like, someone like Tony was like, I don't even have it. Like, why? I'm sure because Tony is just a weirdo jokester and he never had a situation to get it. Or he didn't pull up his own phone. Like, nobody pulled up their phone to actually look up the number. They all just looked at it were like, I don't know. Like, no, somebody said, I don't remember who it is. Somebody said, oh, I checked my contact list. That was not Tony, I don't think. No, maybe not Tony, but like. I just felt like between Violet, Mount, Violet, Gallo, and Ritter, totally believable they wouldn't have his number. Like, it's not like they went up to Herman or Mouch or one of, or even Stella and were like, who is this? Like, it was people I could believe Bowden wouldn't have. And also like, totally believe Bowden, like, to, I just thought it was cute. And I thought it was cute that Bowden didn't care about their shit. He just wanted to be included. Yeah, I I mean, I thought that was cute. But it, I don't know. To me, like I said, it just felt more underwhelming. Like, I was like, okay, this was fine. Like, I don't know. Some of the comedy storylines to me have been missing the mark for me. Like, they haven't been as good as I... Like, some of the other seasons, I'm, like, I love every single one of these. Like, they all make me laugh this season. I'm, like, right. Eh. That's yeah. valid. So, this one just kind of, like, missed the mark for me a little bit. Okay. But. Alrighty. Any other final fire thoughts? No. Alright. Let's hit PD, and then we can end this marathon of an episode. Yeah, Although, it really so hasn't been going that long, comparatively, but. Okay. Um. All right. I I know. Okay. So last night we were talking, and I was like, I want to save it for the podcast because you were like, I am so bored with this episode. Yep. I was gonna say I'm not gonna be able to talk very much because I don't know how much I really paid attention to, despite trying really hard. Okay. So I will say, and I feel like this about like pretty much every PD episode. Many of them. I agree. Ten o'clock. I, I can't do it. Like at ten o'clock at night, I and I'm not a big night owl except for on Thursday nights when we record the podcast. I like ten o'clock hits and I'm just like done. And like, well, that's why I, I rarely watch PD on Wednesday nights. Yes, and so like I was enjoying it last night, but I also just in general wasn't feeling that great. And I was like, if Gina was here live tweeting, I probably would be asleep right now because I just was not feeling great. Um, right. But when I rewatched it again this morning, I really enjoyed it. I I just, Tora's episodes to me are so fascinating because I think, and as we kind of will talk about as we go through this, like, I think his backstory is just so different than what we've seen 
from other characters on this show. And so for me, I like when they, the way they've used his backstory in his couple of episodes this season to, you know, really as a way to introduce us to his character, but also like use his backstory and have a case tie into his backstory. Um, I thought it's been really interesting. I just think they underutilized him this season. So it's like overall, I'm like, uh, you know, like they could have done way more with Torres, but I really, I did enjoy this. So what I will say is when we've established my memory episode to episode sucks. So part of my issue with PD is like this focus on a singular character and then you never really see them other than in the background again. And so one, I've never, I know you, you, I've heard you two, you two love Torres. I've never had a huge connection or love of him. Um, and so I, I've kind of always been meh about his, his presence. And every time I get half interested in him, then he's dropped for weeks on end. And I don't remember that. And yeah. so my entry point into the story was difficult because I didn't care about Torres. Once I started the, the plot line of the story and his background, I agree, it's interesting and this could be good. But walking in, I was immediately on the bad note of, I don't care about Torres, and I know I'm not going to care about this case. And so I think that's that made it impossible to succeed for me. And I, that's interesting, because to me, like I said, Torres to me is just, I, he's a little precious bean. I love him. Um, but I, I do think, I mean, I, I think that's the pros and cons like we were talking about earlier, right, of like these PD episodes and the way they work is that like, Sometimes it works really well, and sometimes it doesn't, it's not that great. The structure is not that great for what fans want and what I think they could achieve without the structure. But yeah, I think sometimes it does work well, but sometimes it just does not. But Yeah, I think if I cared more about who Torres was, I would have liked the episode more. But because I hadn't been bought into him yet, and it had been so long... I couldn't get into it in the beginning. I will say by the end, I felt like his story was at least interesting enough and his background was interesting enough, but because it took me 30, 40 minutes to even care, I kind of, I can see why rewatching it, you felt differently. Well, and I think too, I think that was something I remember having this conversation early on the seasons. And I think it does such a, because like, since they've started the structure, we haven't really had a new significant character come in. So we've never had to worry about how the structure of PD would affect getting to know a new character. Because even back when, like, Haley was introduced, they weren't doing this type of storytelling. So, like, right. we got to know Haley a little bit each week. And sure, there were Haley episodes that focused more on her and her story but like we got to know Haley a little bit each week and Torres is the first character we've had come in in the middle of this kind of weird storyline and I definitely think it's done a really big disgrace to Torres because it's been hard to kind of get to know like with basically three episodes it's been hard to kind of get to know a character but I will say every Torres episode I've really loved and I've really enjoyed what we got in those episodes. I just wish for him being a new character, we got even just like one more episode. I feel like I would be, if there were a Torres episode next week, not a finale, 
um, I yeah. would be more, I think each week I'd be more into it. But again, by the time he'll come back, I'll have forgotten being half interested and I'll have to start from the beginning again. Yeah. No, I, I like I said, I get it. It's just, yeah. to me, I just, I like I said, I'm very, very much into Torres. Um, but anyway, so this episode starts off. You've got Torres attending like a family member's baptism with his mom. And Mia is also there. Mia obviously being the girl whose brother Torres took down in the last time. Um, so as he's leaving, he stops to talk to her and she's pissed at him, obviously. <laughs> I mean, you sent her brother to jail. I mean, granted, I get it. Her brother committed a big crime. Like, he needed to go to jail. But still, you know, she's pissed. I get it. So he notices, though, that someone left a note on his car, and the note has an address and, like, a make and year of a car. So he goes to the address, finds the car, he notices some blood on the trunk, and he breaks in. And, of course, he finds someone in the trunk, this guy, Juan, and he clearly knows this Juan because, and this Juan's last words are basically like, Dante, I'm sorry. And that's it. Then the guy dies. So, intelligence rolls up on the scene. The guy in the trunk is Juan Ariza, and he used to be some major dealer in Pilsen. He used to, Torres is like, yeah, I kind of know him. He's like, you know, he used to run the neighborhood when I was a kid, you know, blah, blah, blah. But Torres lies, though, about Juan's last words. He just tells Voight that he mumbled something and he couldn't make it out, um, which obviously we know that's a lie. So... You know, they figure out that the car is from a carjacking. So Burgess is like, I'll start there. Kevin's like, okay, I'm going to start trying to get prints off the note, try to figure out who wrote it. And Voight says to Taurus, he's like, you know, well, why didn't you think they left you a note? And he's like, because I'm a cop. And Voight's like, well, yeah, but there's a lot of cops in Pilsen. And Taurus is like, well, yeah, I'm still people, you know, some people still appreciate the fact that I'm a cop. Like, they come to me. Um. So back at the 21st, they they got nowhere with the note and, you know, there's no security cameras at the church, obviously. So they start going through, like, who would be an enemy of Juan's. And the main threat is this, like, up-and-coming gang, the Serpiente Lethal, basically led by this guy, Navarro, and his last, his right hand, Thomas Vega. And, of course, Vega has a long sheet, including a carjacking. So they're like, okay, this has to be our key, like, our pair. Rusik is literally in this episode for two seconds. Two seconds. This was his, like, two-second appearance. He stops by, and he's like, oh, Platt told me to hand you this on my way up. Ariza has a house and his niece's name close to where the body, his body was dropped. So they go secure a warrant thinking that, that maybe that would be where Ariza was shot. Maybe we can, like, start there and work backwards. So they go to this house and Torres goes to check out the basement and he sees the picture on the wall and he immediately takes it down and of course they don't find anything else in the house except for an extra fob for Ariza's ex-wife's car they start looking into that and so Torres gets back in his car though and he pulls out the picture and it's him with Ariza so he of course hides it in his glove box and at this point I was like okay like i don't know where we're totally going with like what Torres's connection is on this but i was like okay i'm like i'm i'm here i'm still here I, i'm still here so 
the car was parked behind the house, like this house by, you know, with a lot of complaints about partying, blah, 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 blah. So they go check it out and intelligence starts getting shot at. So Burgess ends up shooting the offender before he got away. And it's some guy in this gang. And of course, they find slugs that match the ones for Ariza and supplies to clean up a murder. So they're like, okay, this must have been obviously where he was shot. They also find Ariza's phone at this scene, and there's multiple text messages between him and a woman named Loop. And this woman named Loop, according to tech, like she basically baited him to come to this address. And as soon as Torres hears the name, here's the name Loop, he pops up immediately because who else's nickname is that other than Mia's nickname? And then, so of course, Torres, his first thought is like, I gotta go talk to Mia. And as he's getting ready to leave, Haley just checks in real quick on him. Dante, wait up. You sure you want to go solo? I can back you up. No, it'll be better if I'm alone. Mia wanted me to know. I can get her to come in. Okay, hey. Look, I know you're still new to us. But if you need something, I'll be there. Okay. Is there anything else I should know about this case, Ariza? No. But thank you. I really appreciated the fact that Haley checked in on him because I feel like, A, we just don't, you know, we don't see enough of, like, intelligence interacting again because of the way the story is structured. So, like, It'd kind of be weird if I thought they all checked in on him. But, like, I really appreciate it even starting from last week with the Haley episode that, like, it seems like her and Taurus have this, like, kind of budding friendship, whatever, mentorship, mentee, whatever you want to call it. And I was just, like, I really enjoyed that. And, like I said, I just, I really appreciated the fact that she checked in on him for, like, two seconds. Yeah, Um, I did like that. The little interaction we got. Yeah. Again, it's not much, but it's two interactions, two weeks in a row with Haley and Torres interacting. I'll take it. And even like last week, like, of course, Torres was, we talked about it last week on the pod that like Torres was the first one that was like, um, Haley's not okay. And I don't know where she is. And everyone else is like, no, it's fine. Like, she's probably just at home. No, she's not like, you know, it was Torres last week checking in on her. And now it's her checking in on him. So. Torres goes to Mia's house and asks her about the note. And she, she, I mean, she straight up admits that she did it. You know, she did it for the money. But she's like, I didn't know Navarro was going to kill him. And, you know, Torres is like, well, why did you write me the note? And she says, because it was Ariza. And Torres is like, one, I hated him. And you know that. And she's like, I know, but I felt like you should be the one to find him. So Mia promises that, because obviously intelligence nobody knows about Torres's past with Ariza whatever it is at this point we don't really know at this point but whatever it is and Mia promises that she's not going to say anything and she's like I'm not the one who betrays people I love and I was like ooh the dagger mm-hmm. it mm, I was like that stung that stung um, so of course Mia comes in she gets questioned by Voight and she's like sticking with her story she's like the note came from information information I heard from some guys at my job. You know, she's like, she basically Voight kind of tells her she has to, you know, 
go undercover with Navarro. So she does. She doesn't really give any, you know, she does it. And of course, intelligence is outside the bar where Mia and Navarro are talking. And Navarro mentions to Mia, she's like, oh, you were seen talking with Taurus. So of course, now Navarro's becoming like suspicious of her. And, you know, Navarro starts talking about Torres's past. He's like, I heard of him. You know, you used to run with Ariza. He was an enforcer. So, of course, now Torres's cover is blown literally to all of intelligence just in like two seconds. And, of course, then now Mia's cover is kind of potentially blown too. So, intelligence intervenes and they basically, they don't have much to go on Navarro, but all they can stick Navarro with is some cocaine. So they're like, okay, well, we're arresting you for coke. Like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. And then Taurus tries to tell Voight the truth, and Voight's just like, no. Like, we can talk. Yeah. And I don't think Voight is upset at Torres. It just, I mean, and I don't ever like saying Voight's right, but, like, I, it's just not, like. It's not the right time. No, and, like, it's not any what relevant to the case right now. Like, it's not, like, going to be life or death in terms of the case, so we don't need to go there right this second. Agreed. I think Boy was being smart there. Yeah. Rare. But he was. So, Navarro gets put in the cage, and, of course, he's denying everything. And he basically tries, says, tries to kind of blackmail Voight, and he's like, listen, like, uh, you, did you know Torres, you know, his past? Like, he's like, I'll take Torres down with me. And Voight's like, you ever think I would let that happen? And I I don't think Voight would ever let that happen, that Torres would go down if it ever came to that. But Voight tries to make a deal, and Navarro turns it down. He's going to try to really take Torres down. Um, So, of course, there's nothing to pin Navarro or Vega to this murder. And Mia's refusing the safe house, so Torres takes her home, and they have this conversation. It's just a few nights. I'm not staying with police. You'll be safe there. I'm going home. I just want to go home. Your team knows about you now? Yes. You're gonna lose your job? I guess. You're just a kid. A tiny kid who just wanted to protect your mom. Arisa used you. If anyone's guilty, it's him. He was. Yeah, he was alive when I found him. He could barely speak. But he told me he was sorry. As soon as I heard this conversation, I was like, of course Torres wanted to protect his mom. Like, that made so much sense to the character we already, like, the little bit we already knew about him. Because, like, up until this point, not that I, I mean, I get it. Torres had a rough life, you know, growing up. He obviously went to juvie. Like, I understood that. So, like. If Tor and we already knew at one point he was in a gang because he had the gang tattoos that had been burned off. He talked about that with Jay at one point. So like that all never would have surprised me, but I guess it was more like I don't think Torres would have just joined a gang because he thought it was cool. 
like and been be enforcer yeah like torres at least from what we know about him always he seems very intentional and i could have imagined him being like that even as a teenager that like yeah i'll do this thing even if it's dirty and bad or whatever but if it means protecting the people that i love then i'll do whatever i have to do that's a great word to use intentional and it well because he feels like that even now like right he does things he thinks about him he knows what he's doing and like yeah they may not be the right things but he knows that there there's a meaning behind them to him yep i agree he's there is something i'm gonna use my word again compelling about his story and that like and i think this is the intention of all of pd is this like ethical dilemma of what's right Mm-hmm. versus what's good like all of like that ethics and I think his ethics his way of decision making and ethics and history and all that is interesting because he everything we've seen every move he makes is very intentional and often very selfless so it's really interesting because when Benjamin came on the podcast he said in a lot of interviews and he said it again in our interview that like he thinks that Torres and Voight have a lot of similarities and so when we asked him, you know, he brought it up in our interview and I was like, okay, well, so what, like, in what ways do you think they're similar? He was talking a lot about the fact that, like, he thinks that one of the ways he and Voight are similar is kind of in that same, for that same reason that, like, sometimes you may not agree with a lot of what Voight does, but Voight does it for a reason. Like, there is an intention behind it. And once he said that, I can kind of see why he said that. And especially after watching, you know, this episode two and like putting it in perspective, because that interview was a couple weeks ago. So like after watching this, I was like, kind of like, okay, I don't know if I believe that all the time. And like, I still think that's maybe where I personally would draw the line on like comparing Voight to Torres. But I think Voight can be where Torres ends up if he, like, I think that is the danger of that way of doing things. And so I see the, like, Voight makes us angrier because at certain points it does seem selfish or it does seem wrong why he's making the decisions he's making. Whereas with Torres, we see more logic and we see more goodness behind it, I think. But I see that risk of Torres ending up where Voight does as he continues to, like, cross the line. Yeah. I just, like I said, I went back and rewatched that portion of our interview today. Because, like I said, after watching this episode, like I said, I may not agree that, because I don't think Torres and Voight are, like, super similar. But once I saw that, I was like, okay. I was like, I could kind of see why Benjamin draws that comparison Right. Because there definitely is an intention to a lot of Voight's actions. I guess the difference for me, though, of Torres versus Voight right now is for Torres, we haven't really seen him make poor decisions in current, like in present time. Mm-hmm. It's mostly this cover up of his past. And sometimes mm-hmm. I don't know if, if I feel like that is as much of an ethical dilemma. Like, I feel bad more so for him because it's like, there's nothing he can do. And so is he really like, is it as much of an ethical? It's not, should I do the good thing or the bad thing? It's should I come clean? And I think that's very different from the constant void of like, do the good or the bad. Like, 
That's true. And I guess we'll we'll get there because I do want to once we get to what happens is so so yeah, so basically they Torch takes Mia home. They get she they basically as soon as they pull up to her house, they start getting shot at. So Torres decides he's gonna go on a car chase and chase the guy. He calls it into Voight and follows the car. The guy who we end up seeing is Vega. He runs into some like abandoned school. I think Voight says it's a school, but some abandoned building. And Torres, of course, follows him. Torres pins down Vega, handcuffs him, all the things. But then Torres decides to take his phone and turn it off. And his walkie-talkie. So basically nobody can track him. And he pins Vega down. And he's like. Takes him to this other room. And he like starts filling the bucket with water. And asking about you know like. How long he can hold his breath. And so basically. A part I skipped over earlier. Is so when Navarro's talking about like. What Torres did in the past. When he was an enforcer. He mentions this guy, Paco, that basically, supposedly Torres waterboarded when he was working for Riza back in the day as an enforcer. So now, as Torres is talking to Vega and has Vega handcuffs, and, you know, Torres, like I said, starts filling this bucket, like, it basically seems like he's going to waterboard Vega. Just like right. what happened to Paco all those years ago. I'm taking back what I said. He is doing some, but anyway. But this is what I okay. So basically, intelligence tracks his car so they can find out where he is. You know, and Haley, Voight and Haley roll up on the scene. And at first it seems like Voight, because Voight finds Torres and it seems like he's going to like interrupt. And then he doesn't. So Torres gets to make the decision to stop. So basically because like, you know, the guy ends up admitting, or Vega ends up admitting that, like, it was Navarro that shot Ariza. He just sold the car and dumped the body, and he admits to, like, where he threw the gun, all that stuff. And so then Torres stops, and, of course, Voight comes in right after. So, basically, Torres made the choice not to go through the whole waterboarding thing in the end. Like, he made that choice. But was Torres ever going to do it? Uh, but that's the thing. But also, like, if you were never going to do it, why did you get this far? And that's the one thing about this whole storyline that doesn't make sense to me is, like, I still don't really understand, like, what that part of the story was supposed to prove. I So, to me, I read it as it wasn't for anything other than to scare this guy into, like, Torres was taking advantage of the fact that he knew what his reputation is with these guys. I don't think he was ever planning on actually waterboarding him, but he was going to use it to get a confession. And that was that. It just feel like to me, yeah, like I don't think Torres was ever going to waterboard the guy because as we we'll, we'll talk about what we find out in a minute, but like, I don't think Torres was ever going to waterboard the guy, but it's also like, okay, he made the decision to then turn off his walkie talkie and turn like, you know, do all these other, like for a second there, it's just like, what is George doing? Like, who is like? I don't know. Is he doing one just to, as part of the 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 facade? Like, he knew his car could be tracked. Like, yeah, I guess to me, I don't know. This whole the waterboarding scene just still kind of, I don't know, make a lot of sense in this story. And I guess I get it because, like, 
in the end, you know, what happened to that Paco guy, like, Torres obviously didn't end up doing, and then he ends up getting waterboarded, you know, he was waterboarded. Like, I get it, but it's just, like, I don't know, this something about this scene just, like, took away from how much I was enjoying this episode. Because for a second there, it looks like he's going to go all void, and you're like, dude, what are you doing? Well, and I, I think that was the point, to make us think he was going to go void. Um, but I, I don't think I ever even considered it. And I just saw it as Torres's attempt to get a confession using fear he knew would be in that guy. No. So basically, like I said, Vega ends up going to whatever. Torres goes back to his church and he kind of, you know, he's very religious. So he just sits there for a little bit, whatever. He gets a call, which basically prompts him to leave. And, of course, he goes outside. And who else is waiting there for him other than Boyd? That's me and Larisa 10 years ago. I took it from his place when we cleared it. I was an enforcer for him. He recruited me out of juvie. He made a deal with me. Did it to protect my mother, my family. I beat people for him. I did terrible things, unforgivable things. But I never waterboarded anybody. And what happened to that kid? I had up to dig into it. No record of Paco exists after 2013. Do you really think I killed him? I think anyone can kill. Ariza ordered me to kill him. And I took Paco out of town instead. He's in Miami. He goes by Julio Montes. As two baby girls. I let Ariza believe I killed him. And then I was done with it. Gang like that, you don't get out for free. Ultimately, you know, like kind of what redeems Torres to me, because not that I ever really lost hope, you know, but like redeems it after the it looks like he's going to waterboard a guy is because obviously, you know, Void even confronts him. He's like, listen, he's like, so you didn't kill a guy. And Torres says something like, oh, well, I you really think I could. And he comes clean about the fact that like 
once that Paco guy, you know, he told Navarre or Ariza that he had killed this Paco guy and really ended up helping him escape to Florida so he could start over. And then Torres ended up having to kind of take the wrath of that and get waterboarded. And, you know, I think it shows that, like, at the end of the day, Torres still has this instinct to protect people. And I think his loved ones especially, but just people in general. And I think it definitely shows how far he'll go. I think, actually, the Carver quote fits very well for Torres about how, like, I'm trying to remember the exact, but, like, it's about the messiness. I'm trying to find the exact quote. Hold on a second. Where is it? Oh, my methods may get a little messy, but I only ever try to do the right thing. Um, And that sometimes feels like Torres a little bit so far. I think Torres needs to clean up the messiness a little bit because otherwise then, like you said earlier, he there's, there is a fine line and I think he could more easily turn into Voight. But if he cleans right. up maybe the messiness of it, the point is that like Torres cares more importantly about people. He just wants to protect and protecting the people he loves. So. um, I did think it was interesting though, that like Torres thought he was going to get fired for this. was like i would guess being an enforcer it was more that like they didn't know his history as an enforcer in the gang i don't think it was this action it was his history that becomes problematic that you can't be a cop in that way but if i remember correctly didn't at least jay know that he was a friend he i don't know i think jay knew that he was in a gang he might have known he wasn't a gang, but maybe not to the extent that he was. Because effectively, even if he didn't kill Paco and didn't kill anyone, he's still beating people up. Yeah, and so that no, I, no, I get that. But then it's like, does it really matter what he was doing in a gang or whatever? If, you know, it comes to the job, like, would it really matter? If you were the secretary I... for the gang, like, would it matter that you were just the secretary? I don't know. I I have the same questions, but that was how I heard it. Was that part of it was concerning, not how he behaved during this. Interesting. Um, and so then the last thing, of course, kind of goes back to the, so he of course then goes to see Amia, and Mia's leaving for Iowa, and you know she admits that she left the note because she was feeling guilty about the body, and you know blah blah blah, and you know she's trying to relieve Torres of a lot of his guilt. Um, and so she's like, you know, this one isn't on you. And again, even before this, his first instinct is protection. He's like, I can get you a guard to stand out there all, you know, 24 seven. He's like, I, whatever you need, you know, I can protect you. Um, but I, I just, I, I think this very episode very much shows that like, he will do anything to protect the people that he loves. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I really like I said I love Torres. I think he's such a fascinating character, and I just want more Torres episodes. I love him. I can't. I I love him. No, you do. Um, but yeah. 
So we did have listener thoughts on this. So Alexa S said, what was Torres doing in this episode? Is he Void Jr. or something? In his past, he was protecting his mom, but it seems as though he was really going down the dark ways like Void did does. Not something I'm used to seeing new people doing in their first season. Plus, the majority of this episode was hard to follow along, but it made sense eventually. Um, No, I mean, like, it, we talked about it a little bit, but, like, I... I think part of the beauty of Torres try uh, pretending to waterboard someone or whatever you know almost waterboarding is that he stopped and that he didn't go so far as void and you know i mean again everything else he did up until that moment not great and i'm not trying to excuse taurus's actions towards vega because i don't think he necessarily handled that right either but you know, he did stop. He wasn't, you know, he realized that what he was doing and did stop. Yep. Um, Brooke S. said, for how dirty they did tours this season, they made up for it, for it some with this episode. It was good and made me like tours so much more. Benjamin killed it. Yes, Benjamin killed it. He he can act his ass off. Um, Agreed. Also, I like that Haley try- is trying to offer help. She's the only detective, and it's good to know that someone has your back. Their friendship will be great, but it needs to stay only that friendship. I'm talking to you, writers. Also, did anyone catch Haley called Boy Hank? I don't think I'm okay with that. Too close. Didn't hear that. I definitely did not catch it. I, it doesn't surprise me. I think she has called him Hank sometimes. But also, yeah, the friendship is great. But we're just gonna leave it at friendship, and I, we're just. Yeah, gonna leave it at I would hope. That. Yeah. I don't think I. Yeah, but I. Yeah. Um, Heather B has a long one, but she. So she said, "I'm going to get this issue out of the way first. Taurus has been the focus of what three episodes before this one, and they already forgot his backstory. He told Jay in Newgard that he burned his gang tattoos off in juvie when he was 14. Which meant he had been going, he'd been in the gang before Juvie, not recruited after. He had no reason not to tell Jay that because he thought Jay was about to get him fired. I knew, I knew I thought he said something about to, about the gang, and that was last year, which is why I don't totally remember. But, and he would have presumably had them burned off when he was waterboarded out if that was the case. It seemed like he was much older when that happened if he was able to get Paco out. He's smart, but I don't see a 14 year old having that ability. Jay also told Void and Trudy that he had burned off his tattoos, but there was no mention of Void already being aware of that during this episode. He did tell Jay that he had hurt other people besides his stepfather, so I guess at least they kept that going. Heather always remembers, like, the most amazing details, and I definitely did not remember some of that at all. Um, she I said, can't I'll- imagine the Enforcer being 14, either. Or before 14. No. So, Interesting continuity gotta love it um other than that which kind of blows this whole premises of this episode apart i like the tourist parts of this episode i like that they brought mia back though i thought the laying of guilt for her brother going away at his feet was a little heavy-handed but it did go along with the more of the idea of guilt and atonement for past sins that gets highlighted in the last scene back in towards this first episode and back and towards this first episode of the season I like the episode for what it gave us about Torres in his past, where he feels like he has to hide to be a cop. A lot of his story has been about how a person like him can't be a cop, and this solidifies this in a cool way. 
Something that, that was really cool that they did with the imagery from the first episode was established St. Christopher and the verse from Isaiah um, as part of his character in this episode in a way wraps back to around that to both of them. Um, the TLDR version of St. Christopher is that he went from powerful leader to powerful leader until he found Christ to lead him. Similarly, how it how it appears towards went from the drug dealer who ran the neighborhood eventually to eventually void intelligence. Uh, one powerful leader to another until he gets to the right one. Interesting. Um, let's see. And then she said, I felt like Torres and Voight have operated on the same wavelength since 1004, but we know more of why Torres is like that than we do Voight. So I think it, we see it as more forgivable. Benjamin also confirmed it, I think, in his interview, and this displays it well. The scene he had with the suspect he was threatening to waterboard shows a lot of things. One, holy shit, Benjamin's an amazing actor. He went from cold to half crazed to relieve in the space of a few seconds. Two, this is why Taurus can do undercover well. He knows what makes people tick and how to exploit what they know or think they know against them. And three, he's similar to Voight in a lot of ways and Voight recognizes it. I don't think we will see him struggle with it like we have Haley because for him, there's certain justification there already. Just like there's for Voight. He needs to protect his neighborhood just like Voight needs to protect his city. They've managed to make him a very complex character in a short amount of time, and I have a hard time reconciling how they can do that at the same time they've ruined Jay. But I think that's just something I'm always just going to be hung up on. Also, no mention of Haley taking her ring off in this episode. Torres would have noticed that. It's a good point. She's not wrong. The ring is nowhere to be seen in this episode. <laughs> but I do think Heather's point about, you know, that kind of like what we were saying is that, like, I think Benjamin is right that he's similar in Voight a lot of ways. And obviously, they have that protection thing going in the same kind of way. I just think no. the thing that we know about Torres is, A, we know about more like what she says about why we Torres is like that. So we, I do think there's part of it that we can forgive it because we know the why. We yeah, never I like that. Right. But I at that. the same time is like, I think Torres' thing is he's always going to be able to stop, or he seems to be right now able to stop if he, before it gets too, too far. Well, we haven't seen enough yet. I, I don't want right. to say so he's So far able to in stop. this one situation. Right. And I think, though, but I think, too, at the same time, is, like, on the opposite end of the spectrum, like, even with the whole Mia situation and her brother and, like, ultimately sending her brother to jail, even though that was, like, a big betrayal and, you know, to him, is that he still leads with, like, his moral compass. And, like, he is still, I mean, in this situation, he is a cop, so, like, he had to do what he had to do, even though in that way, it was, like, very much not protecting Mia and her family you know it was yep. kind of betraying them but he still led with that like moral compass and I think that's also what's going to make him different from Void if this continues is that like that's true there is like I said there's a protection element there he still leads with a moral compass so far so just because and like I said I think the Carver line actually really embodies Torrance well there is a messiness to it, but at the end of the day, he does it for the people he loves. I like it. It's a good categorization of it. Yeah. Any other PD thoughts? I don't think so. 
any quick thoughts about what the finale for PD is going to hold? You know, I was watching that promo and granted it was late and I was tired. But did I see no faces? Like, were there no identifying faces? No, I mean, you see, like, I'm like, do you see Void's face? I'm like, I'm pretty sure you see Lizzie Void's Boyd's face. face. But I just felt like, because I was like, whose episode is it? Like, I just like. It's an Adam episode. Oh, it is. Oh, cause yeah, because you know it goes the- back to the, it's it's about the um Bex. Oh, okay. That was the only part I was watching of it is whose episode is it to know if I'll like it. Oh, if it's an Adam episode, I might enjoy it. Um, okay. Yeah. No, it's an ad yeah, it's an Adam episode. So But it looks like somebody's gonna die. Or I mean they always make it look like somebody's gonna die. I think someone I think there's definitely a cliffhanger. I definitely think someone's getting um hurt for sure. Do we think somebody's gonna leave the show? No. Okay. I feel, I mean, granted, I don't know, you know, you never know, but I feel pretty confident in the fact that nobody's leaving PD. Okay. I don't feel that way about fire and med. I agree. Okay. So. I like that. um, Reassurance going in. Yeah. That you feel confident I don't have to worry about being devastated by oh I think it's gonna end on a cliffhanger for sure and I think we are gonna spend all hiatus being like is so and so like you know like we're gonna get one of those moments right I'm not gonna say that but I feel pretty confident that it won't lead to someone leaving the show okay so but I'll take it I'll take it all right, guys, I know this was a probably a little bit of a longer one, but that's just what happens when it's not Gina and I like I when I have people when we have people on, I just want to ask them all their thoughts about everything. So like, it just happens. Oh, good. I'm glad it's not just me. That always no. makes me worse. No, it just happens. But Rachel, thank you so much for coming back on. I, of course. I mean, I always love talking with you, but like, I especially love when you come because you just you have such different things thoughts then like you know I know a lot of times like we don't agree about certain things but I actually kind of like that more because it, it leads oh to it's way more discussion. fun yeah it's way more fun um, it's way more so I just I always love having you on we have a lot of, we like disagree on a lot of stuff tv wise yeah I feel like there are very few things we we watch a lot of the same things sorry. but then we like when we watch them we're like yeah no we don't Feel yeah, that way about- that's exactly it. We have a lot of like I like you give me great recommendations, but we we read into those recommendations very differently. <laughs> yeah, well, and even like books too. Like you were talking about earlier oh, yeah. about how like age gap is not your thing, and I'm like age gap is literally my number one trope. I feel like you had told me that before, and I was thinking that yeah, like it's literally uh, my number one trope. It's my I like literally the minute I see that's what a book is about, I stop reading. I'm like, oh, it's an age gap. I'm going to pick it up. So, so yeah, yeah, you're very different, but very different. Um, yeah. So, Rachel, where can everyone find you on social media? RHBecker18 yes. everywhere, I think. You're like, I don't even know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, guys, that is 
our penultimate. Um, you guys know where to find us. Meet us at Molly's across the board. Um, email meet us at Molly's at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, even though we're not really on there. I mean, Instagram, wherever. Next week, finales. It's going to be a doozy. Um, and our recap is going to be a very, very special episode because we are joined by our friends, Lauren and Jimmy. So it will be a great time. I didn't know that. That'll be real fun. Oh, yeah. Jimmy asked us back in like November if he could come on to talk about the finales when he hasn't seen a single episode of the season. I was going to say, has he watched all of them? Also, no, he's watched no. none of them. I don't think he's watched any of it. So I is he going to watch the finales? Yes, or I don't he think he's ever even watched okay. Med and PD, period. So, it'll be a fun time. And pipe in without watching. I think that will make it funnier. Yes, yeah. So, it'll be it'll be a good time. It'll, it'll be a good time. Okay, I'm in. Or <laughs> just like, I'm in. I have a long weekend at, when that comes out. So, that'll be my packing or driving or whatever I decided to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So until then, guys, try not to stress. I know the week between like penultimate and finales can be a lot of stress, stressful. Um, just also be kind to each other. I mean, I know, again, there's a lot of stress out in the world and it's sometimes easy, I think, to get on, you know, attack other fans or whatever but like be kind to each other you know it is gonna it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay um yeah but without i mean nothing else to say we will see you guys next week bye